James Cameron's The Abyss is an underwater spectacle about a group of deep sea miners who encounter something alien at the bottom of the ocean. I've been waiting two decades for a high quality release, and today it's finally time to dive in. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always here down below is David. I come in peace. Not down under, we're not in Australia. <laughs> down below. This ain't Mad Max season yet. No, we're, we're down the water because we're here to talk about the abyss. This is a science fiction movie podcast we get together and we're here today to talk about James Cameron's The Abyss, which... On a personal note, I have been waiting to rewatch for over 20 years at this point. I'll explain why in, in, a, in a minute for those of you who are not up to date on the history of this movie. But we'll get into all that. We'll start spoiler free, of course, as we always do. And then we'll, we'll go into all the, the stuff as we, as we talk about the film. Um, before we get into things, I'll just say and remind you, if you do enjoy the show, please do hit the like button. It helps us out a bunch if you do. And you can support all the content over at patreon.com slash TV and get some bonus shows. We'll tell you more about them at the end. And don't pay attention to David when I'm saying that, because I feel like David's face is actively making you not want to do any of what I just said. How dare you? I am adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. So, anyway, we're here today to talk about The Abyss, which you had never seen before. Am I right in saying that? That is correct. Um, there was one sequence that we'll get to that I have seen on YouTube, but I didn't even know it came from this movie. So, Oh, interesting. Yep. Yeah, my first exposure to The Abyss, unsurprisingly, was back in the DVD days, one of the first DVDs I ever got was T2. And I remember watching the special effects part of the, the, the extras and they brought up the abyss because that was where Cameron first, you know, tested the waters, no pun intended, with CGI. There's going to be a lot of puns. <laughs> I didn't even mean that one. I just said it and then I went, oh, yeah. water pun. Fun. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it was a clip from, from the movie and the extras and I went, ooh, this looks interesting. And I, I sort of tracked it down maybe a little bit later. I saw this movie for the first time when it aired on TV around the year 2001, maybe? Jeez, how, there. Long was, how long was that movie with commercials worked into it? Well, that's the thing. It was the theatrical cut. Uh, Still. Yeah, that I, that I watched. Um, I don't know if it had commercials. I don't remember what channel it was on. Depending on what channel, it may not have had them. But it's... Uh, well, you know, I, I I remember really liking it at the time. I bought the, the, the DVD at the time pretty soon after and showed it to some friends. And we watched the special edition version when I watched the DVD with them. And I was gobsmacked at some of the things that were in there. Because it wasn't... Because normally when they add in a few extra scenes that weren't in the theatrical cut, it's, you know, it's it's little bits of flavor. It's a little bit extra char- characterization yeah. over here. Maybe a little subplot or something. The final 20 minutes of this movie is shockingly different <laughs> in the extended mm. cut. Uh, and I'm looking forward to talking about that. But I remember being gobsmacked. But even at the time, I was disappointed that the DVD was non-anamorphic, right? And that terminology is so dated now. Like, people don't even probably know what I'm talking about. But back in the days, you know, widescreen movies were letterboxed, right? So they'd yep. be the correct aspect ratio, 
on your TV. And DVDs at a certain point, when widescreen TVs became a thing, you could zoom into the, the image to blow it up so it would fill the screen at the correct ratio and you'd be getting a, a widescreen image that fills your TV correctly. And that's all fine, but obviously it's quite low resolution because you're zooming in to get it. Right. Anamorphic DVDs, which became very common quite early on in the DVD era, was that they would use the full height of the resolution. So the full widescreen image would be sort of presented, squished into 4 by 3 and then the DVD player or TV mm. would just automatically stretch it back out to the right shape. And the idea was that you were getting a lot more resolution that was there. You were using every single pixel you probably possibly could to maintain image quality. So right. in non-anamorphic DVD, I only ever had a handful of them, and I had a lot of DVDs back then. The Abyss was one of them. It was one of these ones where it was the old Laserdisc transfer. It looked subpar even at the time. Like, even in 2001, 2002, it looked subpar. But it was the best you could get, and the movie was interesting, and so, you know, you, you put up with it. But, you know, then time goes on. HD becomes a thing. Blu-rays become a thing. I'm collecting those. I'm waiting for the abyss to get that treatment and hoping it will. Because once I got used to HD, it was like, well, I can't watch a non-anamorphic DVD now. It looks like absolute shit now in a big TV. So you wait. And you get to the point where 4K TVs are starting to become a thing. And I'm like, it's weird there's still no Blu-ray of the abyss. Mm -hmm. And time keeps rolling on. And we get to the point where we're like after 2020. And there's still nothing. There's still not like a, a decent way to watch the abyss. And like the the best option you still had as of right up until November of 2023, the best option was still a non-anamorphic DVD. I don't know what the technical resolution of a non-anamorphic standard definition is, but it's about half of SD. Right, that was the best okay. option until December 2023, and. It, Thus, they finally put it out. They did like a one-night theater thing. Uh, the, the the actual physical 4K Blu-ray is coming in March, but you can get it in all the digital on-demand and video store services now. You can right. buy it in 4K. All the rest of it. It's just so it was just such a big deal to me because I'd been wanting to rewatch this for a long time and waiting. And Cameron kept saying vague things like, "Oh, it's been worked on. It's coming soon." He said yeah. that in like 2012. Like, yeah, I'm look. I'm looking at the wiki page under releases, and it's at least back in 2016 where he's like, "Oh, yep, the 30th Blu-ray for Aliens is out, and trust me, Abyss is right around the corner, guys." Seven years later. Yep. <laughs> it took seven years, <laughs> and we can get into the, you know, the nitty gritty of like Cameron going a little bit too nuts with uh dnr and ai sort of like image correction and stuff like that uh okay. it's especially bad on true lies which was in a very similar boat no pun intended uh mm. that that's new the new transfer for true lies is pretty horrific from the screen caps i've seen i've not watched the actual movie yet myself but from the screen caps it looks pretty bad this and aliens don't seem to fare as badly but there's definitely some tinkering that purists would rather he hadn't have done okay. uh I mean, obviously, I haven't seen the original, so I don't know what the differences were. So it's, it seemed fine to me. It, I think it probably does. It's basically just a sense of, like, it's unnaturally a little bit smooth at times. And there's maybe, like, some detail that mm. wasn't really there to begin with, but it's been been added in kind of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. If you look at the Trail Eyes screen caps, one of the things you'll notice is that sometimes there's, like, so many harsh lines in their faces because it's been, like, 
the definitions like just been added in so right. you can see like almost this wax figure effect happening to the people um it's not too bad here uh you know to my eyes but you know naturally like yeah best case scenario is always no, give me the film grain. Give me like restore it, sure, but mm-hmm. give me the film. Like you know, let me see it as it should look. But Cameron, yeah. he's had a bit of a spotty history with this recently. Uh, the T two that came out a few years ago in four K is pretty rough in that sense. I remember that one coming out. I yeah. remember that was a big thing. So, you know, that said though, the only other option for this is a non anamorphic DVD <laughs> from like nineteen ninety nine. So. This is a huge step up regardless of anything. So the, the question is, do you want not enough definition or an unnaturally high amount of definition? <laughs> so that's the backstory. That's why it felt like a big deal to finally be able to do this. And as soon as they yeah. announced this release, I slapped the abyss on the schedule. And there was, was no say, ifs, ands, or buts. It was just happening. My side of things in this entire story is the schedule is put up for like the next couple months. We've got a good idea as to what we're doing. And then all of a sudden I notice one of our things got pushed way down the list. And I was like, hey, Pete, what's up? He's like, we're doing Abyss. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. Yes. And we're recording this for the record on the first week of January. Mm-hmm. If I could have slotted this in any earlier, I would have done. We would have been yep. doing this the week it came out if I could have fit it in there. But, but unfortunately, Zack Snyder takes precedence over James Cameron. <sighs> Stupid new release. Goddamn <laughs> Zack Snyder. How dare he? Uh, but yes, yeah, so that's the backstory out of the way. What is The Abyss? The Abyss is... Uh, it's an epic. I mean, we watched this, the special edition for this, which is two hours and yeah. 50 minutes long. And it's a story set aboard an under underwater oil rig this experimental rig they sort of mentioned that it's this new thing that's sort yeah. of been tested and whatnot but there is a nuclear submarine a u.s submarine that is taken out by in mysterious circumstances at the start of the story and the the navy are basically hijacking this this oil rig to help go look for survivors and evidence of what happened at the submarine and that mm. kind of propels the rest of the story and uh I'll just leave it there. We can get into the rest and spoilers and stuff, but that's yeah. the that's the basic gist of it. And yes, there's something science fictiony in the depths of the abyss. I don't think that's a spoiler to say, given that we're on thought. a we're on a sci-fi podcast. Obviously, there's some science fiction in here somewhere. I'm not gonna lie. As you described that plot, it reminded me of what I thought in the first like 20 minutes. As soon as they were hijacked, the U.S. Navy was hijacking the oil rig. I was like, oh, I get it. It's Armageddon underwater. <laughs> I was wrong. That's not the what oh, it yes, is. But like, wrong. based off that plot, it seemed a lot like it at first. And to be fair, that's heavily predates Armageddon. So yes, even, it does. E- it even does. if it had those broad strokes, it, like I wouldn't be holding Cameron accountable for what Michael Bay did later. <laughs> I mean, if he inspired it in any way, I'm going to hold him accountable. Ah, Carmen. There's much worse Michael Bay movies you could be watching than True. Armageddon. <laughs> I just maybe this may be the most controversial point of the like my opinion on that whole movie. I just can't stand the Aerosmith soundtrack. It like ruined Aerosmith <laughs> for me. I hate it. Oh, you didn't like the animal crackers on the belly as I don't want to miss a thing played. You know, I just complete tangent for like 30 seconds here. Yes. I had a I had a high school girlfriend who insisted on making that like our song. <laughs> it had no like relevance to our relationship whatsoever like no important moments happened 
with that song being around, but she was like, oh, but it's such a nice song. That didn't work out. So now anytime I hear that song, not only do I think of a crappy movie, I think of a failed relationship as well. And I'm like, great, cool, fantastic. I love the way you phrased that, because normally you would say I had a girlfriend in high school, but you mm -hmm. said I had a high school girlfriend, which implies you weren't in high school. You just had a girlfriend who was in high school. Oh, yeah, this was like three months ago. I don't know. <laughs> so you sound like a massive creep as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was like 14. I was still just like, oh, yeah, no, dating. It's fun, I guess. It was never fun. That's it was a lie. never fun, yeah. That's a lie. So, yes, we'll get into the movie then. So, obviously, mm -hmm. you'd never seen this before. So, yeah, we're obviously, uh, I think you're getting in with a blank slate. You don't know what yep. you're going I'm getting in with this vague sense of what happened and nostalgia bubbles popping off around me as I was remembering little things that the movie was playing. But what did you think of The Abyss? I mean, I liked it. I'll get that out up front. I like the movie. It For me, it was so strange because every time I felt like I got a lock on what the tone of the movie was, it just pivoted to something else. Because this movie bounces significantly from like levels of whimsy I have only seen rivaled in Spielberg kids movies to mm. horror and existential dread at the sheer size and depth of this ocean. And it just cuts between them seemingly at random and it just keeps me on edge the whole time as to what in the hell i'm about to get in this next scene um in terms of the general plot i think that it is very slow paced i think that in like a more modern blockbuster it probably could have been trimmed down to like two hours no problem but i do think that it works in building up this larger tension of this idea of you know there's not to spoil anything, but there's things that have very specific time limits set on them. And as you pace it out and you spend time doing things, it gives you that creeping sense of this time limit still on the table. You need to be taking care of this. So all the plot stuff, I, I'd say I generally enjoyed. Uh, obviously, special effects are a big thing because this movie is very special effects heavy. I think it holds up. I don't think there's a single special effect in this that is just an abject failure where even now, like, what would it be? 30 years later, 35 years, however you want to call it. Uh, this movie came out the year I was born, so 34 and counting. There you go. So I think that they hold up, but obviously there's one or two that are like, okay, well, you know, that could have been a little bit better, but it's not a failure. It doesn't ever pull me out of the movie at all. So special effects get at least a A for me. I mean, I think for the time there, oh, for the next time, level, it's yeah, yeah. I, no. there's obviously a couple of dated techniques that you, you know, like a matte patent here or a mm -hmm. bit of rear stream projection there that stick out a little bit. But you get that in even Aliens, which is my favorite movie yeah. of all time. So it's it's not something that really phases me. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I love the movie. I think it's a couple of interesting details you brought up there is that yeah, there was a sense of wonder to this that does feel almost Spielberg than it does James Cameron, but a lot of James Cameron's character writing and grit is there as well. So it makes for right. a really interesting mix of that sense of wonder. Obviously, it's probably the most... I mean, obviously, there's some wonder in the Avatar movies, and there's even some in Titanic, but I would mm. say that this is definitely the most sort of wondrous movie that Cameron's made. It, yeah. In many ways, this feels like his interstellar uh, for, you know... Yeah. I could see that. You know, better or worse thematically in terms of some of the things that it does. I'd also compare it... 
actually i'm not going to say that yet because i feel like it is maybe opening up to spoilers but there is a very classic mm-hmm. science fiction movie that i would compare this to directly and it feels like cameron took that broad idea and he mixed it with this incredible setting this underwater setting mm-hmm. and i think what the big thing that sticks out to me watching this before we even talk about writing or any of the, the other stuff is just he really went for this like oh no we're going to make a mega triple a budget hollywood blockbuster that is set almost entirely at the bottom of the ocean and we're going to make it feel like a big adventure down there and i think on that level it succeeds mm-hmm. it came at a cost and i don't even mean the budget the actors yeah. hated making this movie uh ed harris has disowned jim cameron and i don't think ever wants to speak to him again like they uh you know mary elizabeth um um how do you say her last name mastrantiano mastrantiano yeah sure we'll go with that mem right (laughs) (laughs) she you know is, is quoted as having disowned the film says the abyss is a lot of things but fun to make was not one of them so yeah, yeah, I mean, I was I was reading through a little bit of the trivia once I was done watching, and immediately the trivia, like before anything that has to do with like, oh, this scene was done by doing this, it's just like three solid pages of like, here's how everyone nearly died during filming, yes. and it's like, okay, well, I get why they would be a little bit scarred by that. Yeah, I get it too. It's one of those things where it's this really hard shoot, and I know Cameron's known for being a bit of a hard ass. Uh, when he's making a movie and i think that's something that's gotten better over time because i've heard nothing negative coming out of like the avatar sets or or even titanic it seems like yeah you know maybe it's just lessons learned on some of these earlier movies when he was younger and he was like driving everyone really hard between this and aliens mm-hmm. but uh, yeah it's it's you can't deny those results on the screen because like it, it, the fact that they're doing all this practical stuff with water and they're really doing it for the most part it really just it you know makes it feel great to watch. Yeah, I do wonder because obviously people always joke about James Cameron having like almost like fetishes in regards to like deep sea diving and how much he just loves <laughs> his water in his movies. I do wonder which came first. Was it that desire that resulted in this movie coming out or was it doing research for this movie that kind of informed the oh, uh, but I want to go down to the Challenger Deep sort of stuff. I, I could see it uh, either way, really. Yeah. Uh, I, I know he was quoted as saying that he wanted to do what 2001 did for space. Mm. He wanted to do that for water with the abyss. There's a few sequences in this where I get that, like yeah. 100%. Yeah, it's also interesting, you know, uh, Coffee, who's kind of the head Navy SEAL that we is in the film, is played by Michael Bean, and it's very interesting seeing him as more of an antagonist because I'm so used to him from Terminator and Aliens as yeah. the hero. Uh, and it's, it's 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 almost the classic Star Trek joke is that you had facial hair and all of a sudden he's the evil version of himself. <laughs> yeah, it took me because as soon as I saw him, I I recognized him. But then once he started being antagonistic, I was like, but wait, it, is that the same guy I know? And I had to actually go check. Be like, yeah, no, that's that's from Aliens. Yeah. And I mean, even he didn't work that much with Cameron after this one. And he clearly liked working with him because he'd done it multiple times by this point. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. In fact, honestly, outside of those three leads, and he, hell, honestly, uh, Mary, I don't recognize from anything else. She's in Scarface, apparently, but I don't remember that. Uh, other than mm. Ed Harris and Michael Bean, I don't think I recognize anyone else in this movie from anything, which just makes me think they'll quit acting <laughs> after this. They're like, no, nope, uh, we had enough. I mean, 
<laughs> they didn't get any major roles, and I think that's a bit disappointing because in terms of acting, I don't think anyone delivers a bad performance. I no. think there are there's one or two characters that I think are misdirected or are written poorly. I'm looking at you, hippie. Um, beyond that, all the performances are very well delivered, but yeah, I think it's most of them are just like, after I did the abyss, I am not going to be told to do anything I don't want to do anymore because we see mm. how that works out for me. Yeah, I can see that. So yeah, there's a sense of wonder. I think the character, the main character story of the movie mm. is very strong and watching it, knowing where it's going at the end for me this time especially because you know I, i'd forgotten so much about the film but i obviously i remembered the big broad details and knowing where it was going with the the the, the main two characters who are a married couple right ed mm-hmm. harrison and uh mem they they play husband and wife but they're not a happy husband and wife they start off as this very combative couple with a history who are in a very bad place and knowing where it was going to go throughout the rest of the movie and just all the little ways and that they have chemistry early on, the way that Cameron is able to... I think one of Cameron's great strengths as a director and writer between this mm-hmm. and Aliens and a couple other things, but especially those two movies, is he's so good at doing the ensemble, right? Because oh, yeah. other than those two characters, everyone else is kind of not that important individually, but he's very good at making them all individually memorable enough that they feel like they're part of the group and you always, have a, you always understand. By the time you get to the third act of the movie... You understand who's saying what and, you know, th- th- this makes sense from their point of view and their character based on what's been set up and over the course of the previous two right. hours or whatever it's been. So um, I, I think he's very good at that. Yeah, I agree. There was a point where I was worried at the beginning, though, because, uh, I mean, it. I don't think it's that much of a secret that over the course of this movie, people get culled off. We do lose a decent amount of the cast after a few incidents. Mm. I was actually a bit concerned when it started because I thought that I was supposed to be caring about all of these characters as they were introduced. And there were a few of them that, again, weren't getting that sort of focus. They were being held back uh, plot wise. And I was like, no, no, but like, who is this guy? I'm, I, I feel like I'm supposed to care about him. It was only once we got finished with the culling of the cast, I was like, OK, the people that are left are the people that we have spent more time with. He's developed enough. It makes it feel like, OK, you were just putting yeah. the camera where it needed to be for those sequences. I mean, what you're saying is, is there's some red shirts. And... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But they but they are given names and they are given like lines. And that makes me like, I'm just concerned when it started off. Of like, is this someone I need to care about? Because if yeah. not, I'm not going to try to remember their name amongst 17 others. <laughs> yeah. I was actually, even me at the start, I was thinking, I'm not going to remember all these characters' names. But honestly, by the end, I think I did catch like all of the main mm-hmm. sort of six or seven that, that you could know. I was like, yeah, I think I do all know all these names, funnily yeah. enough. Uh, it I does mean, help. Yeah, it takes a lot of death to get there, but yeah. <laughs> it does help, though, that they have kind of nicknames and stuff that's easy to remember, you know, or even mm-hmm. like Coffee's such a unique name that someone being called Coffee sticks out. Someone be called yeah. Jammer or Hippie or Catfish. Like, it's, okay, these are easier because they're kind of more normal words as opposed to just Fred, Bill, Jim, so Honestly, on. I feel like that may be Cameron's strongest suit, is that he's able to come up with these nicknames for all these characters that just lodge themselves into your mind, and you yeah. just cannot shake them regardless. Yeah, so... 
Yeah, I, I think the character story is very good. It plays into the overall themes of the movie, uh, mm. which I feel like it's a spoil to even talk about what the overall themes are, just because of like, you know, where it goes in that third act is such a specific place. Yeah, I will say that because it opens up on a naval submarine, immediately they start talking about like Russians and you are immediately inserted into this idea of mm. the Cold Wars going on. It's something where the, the there's high tensions around the world because the Cold War is still at its peak. And in fact, I think like 15 minutes in, they specifically reference like the Cuban Missile Crisis is like a big thing that's still on people's mind. Yeah. So... so. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into all that stuff. Um, music is quite interesting. I actually didn't check who did the music on this one. Uh, uh, Alan Silvestri. Was it Silvestri? Okay, I, I yep. can actually hear that. Now, now that you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, it sounds a bit Alan Silvestri-esque, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yep. I mean, I definitely liked it, but again, it was one of those things where right on the title card, there's this big like crescendo orchestra like yeah. crash right as we're going into that. And I'm like... This feels a lot more whimsical than I was expecting out of a deep, dark, scary pit of the ocean film, but all right. Yeah. But to its credit, it still has the deep, dark, scary pit of the ocean stuff. It's just... Yeah. There's there's a sense of wonder with some other things as well. Right, so, exactly. Uh, clearly, you know, Cameron had done aliens before this. He didn't the, the mm. ultra scary monster who's going to kill you no matter what, so... Yeah. This time, he was going a different direction. <laughs> I think I think based off the poster that is currently on wikipedia and also knowing aliens i think that my idea going into this was kind of an underwater version of the thing okay that's kind of what i was expecting out of it obviously it's not but that's what i was thinking at the very least i mean the poster says you know he's he made your heart pound with terminator and then he stopped it with aliens now james cameron's back with the abyss and it does kind of imply that it's kind of leaning more towards horror right It's actually kind of a subversion, though, which I won't say why it's a subversion till spoilers, but it does actually work still for the movie. It just works in a different way than what I think you initially think that sentence means. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add before we get into uh, spoilers? Uh, just that the normal thing of I have homework that I do every week, and I have yet another one at the end of this episode. Well, originally, David had homework that he realized was a two and a half hour movie and said, oh, I need to change that because this movie's three hours long. <laughs> yeah, look, eventually we're doing Dune Part 2. I had Dune Part 1 scheduled for this and I was like, wait a minute, this movie's three hours, that movie's three hours. There's only so many hours in the day here. <laughs> so yeah, spoilers for this point on for The Abyss, you have been warned. And I, sh- I always do this. I always think of something to say right after I give that warning that I could have yeah. just said before, spoiler warning. But uh, weird thing that happened here, probably because other studios heard or like, you know, they know what's getting made at the other studios. They get the, the scuttlebutt from the, mm-hmm. the dark sheets or whatever. They heard that, heard that James Cameron just filled up an entire nuclear reactor with water for <laughs> six months. Yeah, so this funny thing happened where there's actually like three or four other underwater movies from all from the same year. They're all from 1989. Oh. Uh, and they're all kind of B-movies and they're varying degrees of crap to kind of fun B-movie schlock. Um, I'm quite fond of Leviathan, which is basically just alien on an underwater station. Right. Um, that... Me and Tara did that as a bonus episode back in the day, so I think people can find that on Patreon if they really want to hear more about it. But that's uh, it's an interesting one. But there's also Deep Star 6, which I saw and don't remember, to be honest. 
and then there was another one I'm, that I'm forgetting. But there uh, was... Lords of the Deep. Was that not it? I don't think it's that, but... Well, Fair... I went to list of underwater science fiction works, and those were the four things that were listed for 1989. There's also The Rift, which was 1990. Oh, maybe it's The Rift I'm thinking of. Maybe it's one year later for that one. But, Fair yeah. Enough. But, you know, th that's the idea that there was this rush to do a bunch of underwater movies. So, mm -hmm. I'm just oh, wondering... Sorry, there was also The Evil Below and Hunt for Red October. I wouldn't count The Hunt for Red October. That's just a submarine movie. I'm just giving my wiki list off here. That's a t Tom Clancy, or not Tom Clancy, yeah. the Jack Ryan yeah, thing. Yeah, Jack Ryan. That's the one of those. Yeah. So, yes, The Abyss. Uh, mm -hmm. th there's aliens in it, right? Just gonna... <laughs> That's it. Here's the question, though. Okay. Are they aliens? Potentially. It's not answered definitively. Yeah. I, I, the, 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 that was not even a word. Bleh, bleh, the, bleh, yeah. The thing that I got from it by the end, when we discover what their like power set is, is that they've been underwater for ever. So it just seemed to me like they were an entire like Atlantis thing where they have just generated this society underwater. I'm, that very well could be the case. Uh, the, the characters in the film speculate that they they're leaning to more towards they're from elsewhere, but the conditions of elsewhere is similar to the deep ocean and that's why they're hiding right. down there Fair but enough. it's not definitively you know like they could be wrong there's nothing to say they're right so yeah i especially i mean i like the fact that this movie pretty much all of them have zero ability to like figure out anything that has to do with this stuff we have blue collar workers and we have the military and that is all of the people here. And there is no point in this where they're like, oh, well, let me explain how, like, electromagnetic properties work. They're just like, oh, power's out. Oh, well. Yeah. So, big thing, right, is, so the special edition is 30 minutes longer than the theatrical cut. Yeah. So, obviously, there's lots of little things as well that I couldn't possibly remember, right, from, from seeing these a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But the big thing is, is that, in the third act of this movie, there's a whole thing where the aliens were going to destroy everyone with t giant tidal waves, and that's not on the theatrical cut. Okay. I saw <laughs> a few little spoilers. I've tried to avoid spoilers on what the yeah. differences were. I saw that, like, the whole thing where they showed, like, the videos and stuff like that yes. of, like, up what's happening on the surface. I know that's not it there, but, like, the tidal waves weren't there either? No tidal waves. Yeah, okay, I don't get that. I don't understand how this movie ends, then. Absolutely wild. Also, every, like, throughout the film, you see them watching news footage of, like, the tensions rising on the news about how the Americans and the Russians are starting to, like, mobilize because the Americans have blamed this sub-disaster on the Russians, so now they're attacking each other on the ocean. Right. All that's, I, I'm pretty sure all that wasn't, because that, that's all building up to that tidal wave thing, right? It's all building up to, like... Yeah. You know, the aliens are going to... The thing I wanted to compare it to at the start, but I, I wanted to wait till spoilers for this, is mm -hmm. it's effectively a, a modern retelling of Day They Are Stood Still. Because in Day They Are Stood Still, an mm -hmm. alien comes to Earth and says, okay, you guys have unlocked nuclear weaponry, and frankly, you can't be trusted, so I'm here to assess if you should be allowed to exist, because you might end up nuking other planets and other people that don't deserve it. Right. So, you know... It's, it's all about peace and earth. It's about anti-war, all that stuff. And that's all true here as well. That's all in this. So, uh, I mean, if it's going to spoil too much before we get to it, feel free to ignore this. But yeah. how does how does the standard edition end? How does the theatrical edition end? It basically just edits around it where, like, it, it, you know, Ed Harris ends up where he ends up in the ending. Okay. 
and he says hello and then I think it just goes straight to more or less him messaging them saying hey, I'm okay you know I'm coming up uh, you're going to love this sure. next thing like basically all the threat is is gone and it's an interesting thing where I, I remember like back in the day just watching the documentaries and stuff like mm-hmm. with Aliens when he was told to cut down 20 minutes of the movie he took out some of the character backstory stuff and that kind of thing yeah. and left it as a really good action horror movie right with the abyss he kind of chose to do the opposite he took out the big like threat thing at the end because the most important thing in the movie is the is the human characters it's, it's the right. heart between them it's their rebuilding of the relationship and all that but this is the one film in his filmography where i i think it is essential that you watch the special edition because i think the fact that the the romance between the two characters being fixed and like them sort of finding each other again the fact that that influences the alien race that humans have good in them and that they shouldn't annihilate everyone is such a good big science fiction idea that it's such a shame that it's not in the theatrical cut yeah i mean if if he had to cut it for time which i'm assuming he did because three hours back then is ridiculous i get why that would be cut because it is kind of standalone plot but it does work at the detriment to the entire like bigger meaning of the film so yeah yeah, i get what you're saying so i I just wanted to bring up that big main difference out the way i'm sure there's lots of Mm -hmm. other little things because like i said it's 30 minutes of a difference i'm sure there's other yeah bits and pieces but i I, there's no way i'd remember all of them but i i remember watching the special edition not knowing what the differences were with friends like maybe a month after i'd seen the theatrical cut getting to to, like i noticed a few of the little things but getting mm-hmm. to that bit at the end when it cuts to all these tidal waves and just being like, what the hell is this shit? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't in the uh, version I watched. I was going to say, I, I can only imagine that level of confusion where you're just like, all right, and the movie's basically over here and then it keeps going for another 15 minutes with a whole extra plot line. And you're like, uh, guys, I don't know what's happening. We've got a haunted disc. <laughs> uh, it's absolutely nuts. It's one of the... It may be... It's it's probably in top three at least for the single biggest difference that an alternate cut makes to a movie. I think that's fair. you know uh, uh, people would have to maybe debate as to what matters more: entire plot lines like this, or something like the the narration in Blade Runner, which kind of neuters the whole thing sort of consistently throughout. You know, whatever Han shot first. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, shall shall we work through the sure. the movie? Because uh, lots of good stuff here. So uh, it opens with the submarine, and you know there's just there's something fast moving outside it, and they don't really know what's going on. We see a bit of light, but nothing too you know obvious. We just that's it. Yeah, you know the the only thing that we get that says that it's not the Russians is that a guy keeping track of the speed says it's going like 150 miles per hour, and it's just like okay, that's a bit fast for anything at all underwater. Yeah, literally, it's faster than anything we could we've ever known. Like technology mm. doesn't exist as far as unless the Russians have somehow, you know, cracked some scientific breakthrough that yeah, you know, we we, we can't comprehend yet. It ain't them, uh, but sure enough, it, the, the submarine ends up crashing into the what do you, do you call it a wall when it's like the the side of a giant trench down i don't know <laughs> yeah the cliff face yeah. call whatever so it goes down and that's, that's just the catalyst for the, for the movie uh mm-hmm. which is 
that the Navy are going to commandeer, because of the storm coming in and because of how long it would take to get the Navy's own deep sea submersibles and stuff out here, they're hijacking, uh, you know, not literally, obviously, but they're, they're the company, that the, the petroleum company that runs this oil rig, mm-hmm. are cooperating and sending down a team of Navy SEALs to oversee uh, a search and rescue. Uh, obviously, the Navy SEALs maybe have a little bit more than that as well they've got some secret orders in case because because it's a nuclear submarine there's maybe some extra little things they've got to do yeah uh but the big thing here though is that it sets up and it sets establishes some of its rules and some of its exposition really smartly because we have these characters who are not necessarily trained to be diving as deep as this so we Mm -hmm. get our our Lindsay, the 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 wave character who's coming down with the seals because as we find out throughout the dialogue she designed this new fancy oil rig and she helped build it but she's not down there but she's going down with them because she doesn't want anything to happen to it um right and one of the neat little things they do here is that everyone who sees that she's coming basically says something to the effect of oh no not that bitch and we hear it multiple times and there's a really funny moment with ed harris where he gets the call saying that all this is happening and that she's there and you you only hear his side of the phone call where he's like yeah what's going on yeah, I'm calm. Of course I'm calm. I'm a calm guy. And then there's a pause, and then he screams the word what so angry. Yeah. That it, it, yeah, I, I remembered this coming because it was such a memorable, funny moment, and I, I got a good chuckle out of it this time. But there's a great moment where it reveals that him and Lindsay, so he's Bud, just so we've got a character name for him. Yes. He's Bud. And him and Lindsay are, are married, and we find this out because he, he talks to her on the screen. She's saying she's coming down, He's very upset at her. The screen turns off and he says something like, oh, I've always hated that bitch. And then I think it's uh, Hippie who's who's standing there goes, well, maybe you shouldn't have married her then. And then he walks off and Ed Harris just has this look on his face. And this is like, I think Ed Harris and Mary Elizabeth uh, Manstriano's performances are are so good in this movie. They're such a big part of why it works. Oh, yeah. I, I... I've only really been exposed to Ed Harris either as the super straight-laced type a la, like, Apollo 13, Mm. or his character in Westworld, just varied out in all the different ways he plays it. Um, Weird to see him as such a protagonist here. It was weird to see him, like, having fun and smiling. Mainly the smiling. (laughs) That threw me off. Yeah, he's in such a heartfelt plot, ultimately, uh, as, as the movie goes on. But I think what I love so much about this early stuff where they're firing back and forth against each other is that clearly everyone doesn't really like her that much, but mm-hmm. at the same time when she does land and she comes aboard, like she runs into Jammer and there's a bit of small talk back and forth. Like she clearly knows all these people. Like there's oh, kind yeah. of there's kind of a family vibe, and it's part of what makes the dynamic so cool with the the seals being this separate like group of strangers that come in when everyone mm-hmm. else is this this tight knit group who all know each other. They all have inside jokes. Uh, we see them operating all the equipment and chatting over the radios, even singing together at one point. There's like a song on, and they all yeah. start singing together. See, when you, I I thought for sure that would have been something that got cut in the theatrical them singing together. And I mean, maybe it was. I don't remember. Maybe it was. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I, I could see that being cut. Like it does seem like you know, it's two minutes that I think is easily gone if you want yeah. to but it really builds up this camaraderie between them and that's a big plot point that comes up as things go on where coffee keeps trying to give them orders and they just don't respond to him but as soon as ed harris as soon as bud turns around and says all right let's do this guys 
Mm. Uh, they follow his orders. So it, it, it really sets up this dynamic. Yeah. I also like that they specifically, um, they never like really get into what is strange, Bud and Lindsay. It's, it's implied this idea though, that basically they work together hand in hand the same way that all these guys did, but she kind of went white collar. She went up to the surface. She's spending her time more in offices than down there with them. And it just put, this larger strain on their relationship that just couldn't be mended. And obviously as we get to now, she's, they are all, but in the official paperwork divorced. And she's actually been seeing this other guy who's got like suit and tie and a BMW and all that stuff. He's, he's the fancy type. And it's just implying this basically bud wants to make it work now that she's down here, but it seems like there is just too much distance between them now to ever like cross that again. You know? Well, I think showing that he actually does still care about her is one of my favorite things about these little scenes that take place. Um, mm-hmm. and the way it does it, because he keeps trying to talk to her. Right. And he's like saying, Hey, you can use my bunk because like, I'm going to be busy doing stuff. So it's the only place that will be empty anyway. And he starts talking about this, oh, yeah, she she questions, oh, why are you still wearing your wedding ring? And he's got this yeah. really big, thick, titanium-looking thing. It's very industrial-looking, and that, that actually comes up later. It saves his life a little bit later on, actually. Yeah. But he just kind of, like, goes, oh, I, I just, I don't know, never thought about it, didn't take it off. And he, he kind of, like, dodges the question almost, but then he immediately redirects it to, yeah, but, uh, yeah, of course you don't wear yours because, uh, you know, the suit wouldn't like it. And he brings up, you know, he's sort of jealous and he brings up this other guy that she's been seeing. And we find out that she's already broken up with this guy. It didn't last very long. Yeah. Um, and he sort of comments why it maybe didn't last. He's like, oh, it wasn't funny like me. And then they start sniping, they start arguing. And I think what so sticks out to me so much about this is even when they're being mean to each other, like they are in this scene, they have mm. so much chemistry. And it's actually quite endearing to watch. And it leads to one of my favorite character building scenes early in the film is that when he storms out of this room... He goes immediately into the little bathroom and he takes his wedding ring off and he throws it into the toilet and then he leaves the room, but the camera just stays there. It doesn't cut away. A second passes and then the door opens and he comes back in and looks at the toilet seat and he's like, all right. And he kneels down and he sticks in his hand and it's sort of, his hands like stained blue, like from the mm. wrist down. His hand is stained blue. And one of my favorite little details about this is that not only in the next couple of scenes, someone says, hey, why is your hand blue? And he gets annoyed and says, shut up. But it shows yeah. that he's still feeling quite testy about this. Um, and obviously the fact that he went to rescue his wedding ring means a lot of obvious things. Yeah. But way later on in the movie, when she's dying, right, and he's doing the CPR and he's like demanding she come back to life. We'll talk about that more in depth later. But mm-hmm. when she does wake up again and he's like so happy and he holds her hand, right, you don't really notice it throughout a lot of the movie because you know it's, it's easy to miss. It's not focused on, but when he's holding his hand or her hand and he's holding it sort of right under his chin, so it's really in frame. His hand is still blue, and mm. now he's holding her hand and he's just saved her life and he's thankful that she's still alive. And that blue hand represents that that desire for her to be there was there from the start of the movie, and this is just the big dramatic payoff to it. I love that. That is just this yeah set up and payoff, baby. So good. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of just imagine the set coordinator, whoever's in charge of that, is like, you know, page 15 of the script or whatever. It's like, all right, his hand gets stained blue. How long is that going to stick around? Oh, the rest of the script? Great. Looking forward <laughs> to dealing with that in costuming. Every single day, Ed, sit in the makeup yep. chair. They're going to paint your hand blue. 
And it is not only does it have to get painted blue, it has to look like it's fading ever so slightly over the course of the movie. <laughs> yeah. The easy thing to do would be to say, oh, in one of the scenes where there's a lot of water, it gets washed off, and it's just that. But obviously, right. the reason why it's still blue for that scene later on is because he wanted that dramatic callback. He wanted that to be a reminder of the start mm-hmm. of the movie where they were fighting, but he still rescued his wedding ring. So, yep. yeah, I, lo- I love that that detail uh, when I when I noticed his blue hand oh, yeah. again later on. Great touch. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree entirely with what you're saying of their... Uh relation because it is the center point it is like the focus of the movie more or less is these two and how they manage to get along obviously there's the stuff with the aliens all that sort of stuff happening but when those scenes end we kind of just double right back onto this plot like it's them bickering and arguing with each other and then slowly coming to this realization together that no we can't like move apart from each other this is something we both want to keep doing so no it's it's super solid throughout yeah and yeah like you said they set up this idea that like she worked with him and even at one point he explains the backstory and yeah they worked together they fell for each other and then i think the line he has is something like she didn't leave me she just left me behind Mm -hmm. and you know he, he doesn't have these aspirations to be you know (laughs) high in society he's quite happy doing what he does um, but this movie kind of puts them back together again. I, it's uh, and I, I also like that it doesn't. There's not like a big dramatic moment early on where it kind of changes their tune. It's just that as crises start to happen, you just see how well they work together, despite the fact yeah. that they're bickering. They still work so much better than say anyone and his team do with the seals, where there's this mm-hmm. clash constantly, where they're not merging together at all. But despite all the hostilities and how they're talking to each other, they're like clockwork. You know, they just blend right in with the rest of the team and get things done. It's Yeah, there's there's multiple points throughout this where even after the first time Lindsay sees the aliens, she, like, tries to describe them to the team. And a lot of them are like, okay, but that's crazy. And she turns <laughs> to Bud, and Bud essentially is like, I get it, but, like, I can't I can't follow you down that. It's It's just a bit too weird even for me. And you get this feeling that, like, he wants to, he wants to believe her, but he's still at that crossroads mentally of, okay, is this going to be like a relationship that I should be backing her up in? Or are we still at that professional level where we're just coworkers right now? But then fast forward 50 minutes in the movie. And as they're put into more and more crises, it is immediately apparent of like, oh, he's made this shift mentally where he worries about her as a person he's he wants her to be able to survive all of this stuff going on and he's willing to do whatever that takes to get her there absolutely uh and i think the movie's really well structured and that it kind of breaks down into these neat simple goals uh Mm. a lot of them are survival based but it doesn't focus entirely on that like there's a section in the middle that's very much about survival but mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff they're doing later on is very much like a moral thing. And then early on, and obviously at the start of the movie, it's very much, okay, we've got this mission for the submarine. So we're right. going to go down there. We're going to take the the flatbed, which is this big submersible. And then there's like the little, uh, they call them cabs, the little smaller ones that they can swim around in. And they're yep. going to take those down, deep sea diving suits. And we're going to, <laughs> cat, go away. My cat keeps jumping on me. Um, it's all good. 
So they take these these uh, submersibles well, and stuff out of the submarine. Yeah, go. Real quick, as long as we're talking about animals, we should talk about the rat. <laughs> okay, this is an interesting thing to talk about. So yeah, before they go down, uh, one of the, the SEALs, one of the Navy SEALs is talking to... It's Catfish, who's the guy with the beard, and uh, I think in my head I was calling him Rat Boy, but his name of Hippie eventually sank in. One of them definitely, one of the Navy SEALs definitely calls him Rat Boy, so... He always had I the rat with fair. him, so it was so easy to just call, yeah. call him that in my head. But uh, the Navy SEALs explaining they've got this fancy tech, this, uh, it's this liquid that, I can't remember the exact name of it, it was a really fancy scientific name. It's like oxygenated fluoro something or something, another. Something, something, But the idea is, is that it could let you dive without the worries of the pressure, right? You could go deeper than you ever could normally because you're breathing liquid, and if you're breathing liquid, then you don't feel the pressure in your lungs and so on. And, okay, before we even get to the rat, I was curious. So I did a little Google here. I was like, is this just complete nonsense? Is this just a made-up thing for the movie? Or is this? Is there any like basis in reality for this? And I think it wasn't even in this scene. It was later on when, the, when Ed Harris is going to use it. And the Navy SEAL says, hey, you breathe liquid for nine months. Your body will remember. And I went, hmm... I'm curious now, because that sounds like a convincing little detail. It does, yeah. And I, I looked it up, and I found an article, first result. I just put in the abyss breathing liquid. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. And turns out it is based on something that's that's real. Um, apparently, it was first tested in like World War One. It's an old thing. It's yeah. not perfect, and apparently, like... It can only like uh, like it's only safe to do it for under an hour. Which, to be fair, the movie didn't break that rule either. Like it just never no. mentions it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they didn't actually do it in the the movie with Ed Harris. Ed Harris was just holding his breath and and yeah. water when he was doing it later on. But interestingly, the rat though mm-hmm. did it for real. So that is absolutely horrifying to me. <laughs> Not the fact that the rat did it, but just like in concept, the fact that somebody like James Cameron's sitting at his desk writing this script and he's like, I really I, I, I've been interested in this deep sea diving stuff. I read that same paper that Peter just mentioned. I'm going to put in a scene <laughs> where we show off this horrifying technology that proves that man should not be put in charge of godly measures like this. And then he just did it and they just let him do it. That's insane to me. Well, what's nuts about this? Because obviously the Navy SEAL grabs the rat and does it to prove that it works and that the, the, you know, it's, it won't harm him. He'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and in real life, I believe the rat was fine. You know, it was yep. perfectly fine afterwards. But obviously it was probably traumatic whilst it was happening for the rat. Yep. Interestingly, this the, these shots of the rat in the water was always cut in the UK. Uh, mm. The BBFC counted this just straight up as animal cruelty and did not want to end the movie. I get why, because even if it didn't kill the rats, like that is drowning the rat. Like it is Mm. fluid, liquid filling the rat's lungs to the point where I I believe I read a trivia bit where the only reason that they kept cutting away to actors faces, because he used like five different rats for these scenes. The only reason that they kept cutting away to actors faces is because every single time that they put him in the liquid and they started drowning, they shat themselves. <laughs> I shouldn't and, laugh at that. But yeah. Was... But like, that's the level of like fear that these things were feeling. So I get why it would be cut yeah. for animal cruelty. 
it's it's so it's weird though because the there's other examples of animals being killed in movies which they're completely fine with because it's like a normal thing that is done and then the animals are implied to be eaten. So it's like, well, that, that's mm. okay because that's traditional hunting for food and that's okay. Yeah. And it's like, but in this case, it's like, well, the rat's fine. But yeah, I admit, traumatic whilst going through the process. Yeah. So, yeah, very weird. It's actually why it's not been released in the UK yet, uh, currently. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I got it from the US because uh, I wanted to have it <laughs> as quickly as I could. But fair enough. Um, it's not available in any of the UK services as of yet because of this scene. Because apparently, uh, Lightstorm, who are the company that puts it out under Disney, um, either haven't bothered trying to cut it again yet or resubmitted it for classification. But yeah, either way, it's not. It's not currently in release so. well i mean at this point they won't have to because people like you who want to see it are just buying it anyway yes yes making the whole thing just a joke in the first place but yep oh well here's what it is so it is worth mentioning i suppose that before this viewing i had never seen that scene intact i don't because i think oh. the, the way it worked in the uk cut from back in the day was that it just kind of kept on the actors faces you never saw the rat in the water that seems so much worse to me this idea of the rat just being implied to be drowning off on the side. Yeah, yeah. There's almost the imagination makes it worse than a weird right. way. But again, sometimes censorship doesn't like understand the effect of the censorship sometimes. Yeah. But hey, uh, no, nah, I was so it's a valid scene to bring up because it's a pretty little traumatic thing. But mm-hmm. it's an interesting technology, if if you even call it technology. But I mean, I'd say so. The fact that you can't just find it out in nature, I assume that man had to create this. Yeah, I guess the idea that the liquid's a specific type of liquid where the oxygen will still be oxygen, because obviously oxygen is technically in water, but it's it's but it's H two O. It's it's bonded it, with it the needs hydrogen. It needs to be something that the lungs can process. Yeah. So, very, very curious all the same. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, we get this little expedition to the to the submarine, and this, this is pretty cool eerie stuff, you know, like the, all the footage of, the, of the, the, the submersibles, like, gliding over towards the sub, and obviously they're a little bit concerned about, uh, you know, if any of the warheads have been cracked or anything, maybe radiation could be a thing. Doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be the case, though. And they're searching they go inside in their suits uh jammer gets kind of freaked out though uh as as well yeah they discover multiple dead bodies of crewmen as they're making their way through and jammer's just like "Mm, look you know what i'm good staying right where i'm at and you can just keep going as deep as you want yeah but then he sees a he sees an alien yep so it is worth noting that whenever these aliens show up basically anything that runs off electronics is just put out of commission for as yes. long as they're around. All which, the lights go out, everything is just out. Which is very good uh, to make the person who saw it look crazy because there's no evidence <laughs> of yeah. anything happening. Because <laughs> all, all the recording equipment is all down and whatnot. But uh, he, he sees these al- one of the aliens, which effectively looks kind of jellyfish-esque, but it's got like a... There's like a central skeleton to it where you can see hands in the skull yeah. and stuff. I'd say it's a mix between jellyfish and stingray. Like, if you imagine a stingray, like, looking at it from the bottom side, it's kind of like that. But it still has, like, an interior structure to it that you can see through the jelly substance. And the little head is maybe slightly like a classic alien stale head. Mm -hmm. Much smaller, but certainly similar idea. I mean, I know you hate the movie, but it reminds me of the aliens that were in charge of the cloning stuff in Star Wars Episode Two. 
Thankfully, I don't remember that. That's fair. They just got tiny little, like, white heads that are on, like, super long necks. They just look like that. Well, we're going to have to do it at some point, no, unfortunately. We yeah, we, we don't do. have to. We're good. People have seen it. As soon as, as soon as there's a new Star Wars movie coming out, we have to do all the other ones. I'm good. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. It's worth mentioning as well that uh, Lindsay, who's driving one of the, the, the cabs, uh, mm. she sees not the alien itself, but more like the alien's drone. Um, in fact, one of the characters in the movie even compares it to their drone later on. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't call it a drone, though. They call it something else. But it's, it's an underwater drone. That's what it is. I think they call him the cab, pretty much. Or no, no, the, uh, oh god, what was the name of Big Geek? I can't remember, but yeah, you're right, it is like a drone. Yeah, but yeah, they've, they've got like a name for it, they, they call it like mm-hmm. Jeff or something. I can't remember what the name was, but yeah. Well, it's Big Geek and Little Geek were the... Was it? Smaller okay. ones, yeah. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. But Little they had like a technical name that I know they used, but I can't remember what it was. Ah, to be fair, there's a lot of technical names that get thrown around there in this are. movie. There's no need to remember them all for the sake of the... This is this is one of those like I, I'm trying to think of another director that the first one that pops into mind is Christopher Nolan, but I don't think he actually does it all that much. But it's one of those things where every once in a while you could tell they did a lot of like deep research on how something works mm-hmm. and you he just wants to exposit it. He wants to be just like, here's how this works. Isn't this interesting, guys? Yeah, well <laughs> So I mean other than that, like that's basically it. the one main thing is that Jammer does pass out because he freaks out when he sees the alien and he basically he messes with his mixture of his of mm-hmm. his oxygen and he passes out ends up in a bit of a coma for a while yep. uh, but you know yeah, Lindsay, everyone makes it back up there everyone's yeah. fine L- oh, Lin- Lindsay explains she saw something and immediately coffee's like must be a Russian submersible <laughs> <laughs> and she's like no it was bright it had lights coming off of it it was very colorful there was no way it was russian but he's just like nah it's definitely a russian submersible and he tells that to his superior who's up in the ship yep also worth noting uh when the seals and Lindsay first come down we get a special little sequence where Lindsay says okay guys now while we're decompressing ah yes 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 we need to make you aware that there is this illness that people get when they come down to these depths if your hands start shaking, you might have com- compression psychosis, and you'll start going crazy down here. So be sure to speak up if your hands start shaking. And as they're going down to the submarine, coffee's in one of the uh, cabs or whatever, and you see his hands start to shake, and he's just like, nope, not going to deal with that yeah, right now. That's the second time you see it. The first time you see it's actually right after the explanation, because he goes back and he pick up oh, a crate. It? And his hands start shaking. Maybe you're looking away for a second, but it's, yeah, maybe I was. It's, it's just a little moment, and then he's like, sort of like, so it does set up this idea that it is almost immediate because she says like one in twenty people just can't mm-hmm. handle this depth, and they'll just start yeah. to to go. And of course, all the seals are super macho. They're like, "Look, we've been through the ringer. We know what we're capable of." And he, she's like, "No, you. This is just a like a medical condition thing. You can't know until you're in it whether or not you have it." And coffee's just. Like, feels emasculated that she'd even dare suggest that he might yeah. suffer from this. It's like, nah, I'm fine. Look at my mustache. I'm the manliest man. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. So, the big thing here is... Well, there's two things going on. One is the setup of the stuff going up on the surface, which is the mm. tensions are rising because did the Russians take out this American sub? Did they not? Uh, but clearly other things are happening with other ships on the ocean because of this happening. 
So all the news things are they're doing. So this was all cut in the theatrical version, I'm sure, because this mm-hmm. all ties into the ending stuff. Uh, but meanwhile, the Navy SEALs go on their own little mission. Uh, they basically steal the, the, the cab, or the, the, the flatbed one, rather, to go down to the sub on their own to retrieve mm-hmm. one of the nuclear warheads. Um, and this is a big deal because with the storm coming, one of the things they have to do for safety... Uh, and the the reason they've got such good communication and even getting TV signals, presumably, is because this rig is tethered to the ship that's up in the, mm-hmm. you know, up top of the ocean, right? And it's this big power rig and communication line or whatever it is. And it's like, hey, for safety reasons, if they're going to get thrown around up there, we can't be hooked up to them. So we have to use the flatbed to to, you know, just disconnect the line and we'll reconnect it later once everything's calmed down. But because the SEALs have taken the flatbed, which is the thing they need to use to do it, they don't have time to do it. Like, uh, like they, they try and do it at the last minute, but of course, uh, disaster strikes. And this really yeah. presents the first big set-piece disaster of the movie. Uh, it's also, yeah, it's also worth noting that we as the audience know that they went back for the nuclear warhead, but the crew is completely unaware. For all they know, yeah. these guys just left, went back down to sub, came back, and they have no idea why. Yeah, they keep playing, oh, we have orders, and it's, you know, classified mm-hmm. kind of card. They're not telling everyone everything. Yep. Uh, of course, what happens, though, is the storm knocks out the crane that has the cable, like, attached to the boat up above. Which I'm just... That crane operator? Yeah. I'm putting that all on him. That is mm, 100% his fault. Because the guy was telling him, like, give the crane some slack. And you just see the guy just like, huh? What? What are you saying? <laughs> And then all of a sudden the crane collapses. It's like, boy, who could have seen that one coming? Yeah, so it falls to the ground. And there's a great little sequence here where all of them in the in the rig are like, wait a minute, it's coming down to us. And they mm-hmm. just have to wait for a minute as it falls to them and just hope it doesn't hit them like directly on top. Well, it's not even they wait. Like, they hear it's coming down. They get one last little signal from the guy. And then immediately everyone just starts scrambling around the place trying to lock it down as much as they can because they don't know where it's going to land. Yeah. And actually, it seems lucky at first because it lands in front of them. They see it land mm-hmm. and like, oh, thank, you know, excellent, right? Didn't hit us. We're good. But then it falls off the edge of the ravine into a, a deep abyss. And mm-hmm. it, you, see, you just see the cable just going and going over the edge just just uncoiling ever so slowly and they're just they can't do anything they know they can't do anything so they're like no 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 (laughs) no so they get dragged down over the edge uh which causes a lot of damage water starts rushing in this is where a lot of the red shirts die uh so uh but this this is there's a lot of fun this is where they all go into kind of action and uh lindsay starts doing stuff because she knows how to fix things uh Mm -hmm. Bud tries to save some people and doesn't quite do it. This, this is where his wedding ring saves him because the door, the the hatch, like slides shut. But yeah. his ring, because it's the strong titanium ring, kind of is able to keep it open without crushing his hand, and they get saved just in time uh, by some of the others. Which I I'm sure the ring is strong, mm-hmm. but like, god damn, that ring is strong because this door. <laughs> is meant to withstand how, God knows how much pressure from the side. And it's like just a single ring on it. That's incredible. I mean, obviously there's the, the subtext here of the, the like his marriage, his belief oh, in yeah. his marriage saved him. Like literally it saved him. The thing that you want to stay alive for is what saved you. Bravo. Beautiful. Yes. I can read subtext. 
<laughs> I know people use subtext and they're all cowards. I say what I want to say in the normal text. <laughs> I don't even know where that clip's from. It's just a gif I've seen of this guy saying that. I have no idea. Uh, I, I go back to the uh, Futurama quote, which is like, you can't just have your character say how they're feeling. That makes me angry. <laughs> so, yeah, at this point, there's a bit of a survival section where it's like, okay, we have X number, uh, you know, we have X number of hours of air left. And they do mm-hmm. something to actually extend that, so that's not even that huge a concern once they've dealt with it. Uh, but also the idea yeah. of, like, we only have so much power, so we have to only heat up parts of the rig, because otherwise the whole thing is going to be as cold as the bottom of the ocean, which, you know, mm-hmm. it ain't that and warm. It's it's because the storm is going on upstairs, up on the surface, it is a hurricane. It's going to last a solid, like, day or two. And they're talking in terms of, like, hours when it comes to oxygen and whatnot so they definitely don't have enough to last out the full storm yeah they're able to get tanks off the other part of the rig or something so they're it's not a deal with it like it's, it's kind of a quick thing mm-hmm. um and even coffee's slightly apologetic be like i was under orders there's nothing we could have done we had to go do the thing we did yeah. uh but you know tensions are starting to, to to rise a little bit uh but the main threat that comes up next uh well actually before we get to that uh when they're off to get the oxygen from whatever else uh it's Lindsay who's in a diving suit and she's walking across the the ocean floor and she sees another alien thing she sees the the little drone again and then she looks over the edge and she sees what appears to be a a ship you know not the big ship but you know something that's similar to one of their cabs effectively Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, no one else witnesses it. She tries to take a photo at the last second before it disappears completely, and she gets like a line of light. It's just like, you know, it doesn't, you can't see anything specific. It's just, yeah. it's very vague. Uh, so she tries to show it to everyone, and they're all very skeptical, except Hippie, who starts just going nuts with wild alien conspiracy theories. So much so that at the end of the scene, she's like, hey, could you not be in my side? Because it's just making yeah. her look bad. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it was like an onion headline or something like that. It's like the worst possible news. The guy you hate agrees with you on something. <laughs> yeah, I got a good chuckle out of that. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the real threats, though, from this point on, I think is where the movie really starts to kind of sing thematically because it really becomes this idea of... <sighs> It, it it's the the cynicism and the fear and the the reaction of the navy seals specifically coffee mm-hmm. to be to be fair yeah. um to, because at this point he has no connection to the upstairs world so he is the leading commander and he's undergoing psychosis very visibly here yeah and the other characters are starting to notice it as well they kind of comment on it um he you know he thinks oh this is some kind of these are russians that this is a, a threat he immediately wants to deal with it as a hostile thing, and it's kind mm. of the worst basic, you know, instinct of humanity is to be like, okay, no, it's something different. I don't understand. I must shoot it. Right? That's yep. kind of his mentality, and it's kind of that versus the other characters in the movie who are trying to be more hopeful or trying to be more, you know, kind. Like Lindsay's first reaction when she sees any of this stuff really is mostly to try and reach out and try and say hello mm-hmm. and try and be kind and. That becomes a big subject for the rest of the movie. I think it goes back, because you were saying that little bit where they were looking at the tensions were raising up on the surface as they were still able to watch TV. 
they kept on cutting to like little man on the street segments where they were interviewing mm. people going by and pretty much every single one of the people they interviewed said the same sort of thing of like well the russians are people too like i don't understand why we're doing this just as a common citizen what is there to gain from fighting each other and i feel like that's kind of what this is the microcosm of of you have these blue collar workers who they see something incredible they see this other entity and their instinct is no we can accept this we don't have to fight it it doesn't have to be something that's destroyed but the military exists to bomb things so that's obviously what they're going to start doing yeah uh, and around this part of the movie uh hippie uses the drone to spy on the the room that they're in and he mm-hmm. sees them working on working with a nuclear warhead and he's like guys guy it well, actually he he puts in a tape and records it he gets like a vhs out and he's like all right yeah. record 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 they're not going to believe my conspiracy about the military doing shady things unless i give them proof i'd like to think that the bud would be like okay i'm going to take you seriously because you say you saw this but yeah uh, but he gives them proof he gives them the videotape and it's actually Lindsay who overhears this and goes storming, and she is furious that they brought this weapon on her rig. Mm-hmm. She sees it as her. She still sees this as her place. Yeah. And she's like, how dare you? And the entire scene, like, they don't call attention to it until they leave, but the entire scene, Coffee's got his hand behind his back, and mm-hmm. you just know that he's holding a gun. Like, th- this oh, is yeah. where the, the tensions are really starting to raise. You can almost look at it as a microcosm of, like, what's going on up above, of like, the two sides, like, the tensions raising and and whatnot mm-hmm. but uh he basically tries to pull rank uh and when she kind of says no i'm not going anywhere like we're going to have this fight when he kind of steps forward and gets threatening mm-hmm. bud's instinct because it's just him that's there at this point with her and the the seals is he has the like an alarm button just to get everyone else who's there to come and sort of back them up it's like no no yeah like we're not going to just be pushed around here he, he knows that he can't take on two or three Navy SEALs on his own. He's not delusional. So yeah. he calls but in like the backup. Five of them, and especially the five that are required to run this entire place. Yeah. They're all going to be able to take this down. Yeah, the idea is that Coffee can't just shoot them all because then who's going to like take them back up? Who's like, they're, right. like they kind of need some of these people to run the place. Which, good idea in principle, bad idea when he has psychosis. Like, let's yes. not push that button a bit too far. Yeah, it's after this scene where they kind of comment, hey, did you see he's got the shakes? And they start talking about the fact that he's mm-hmm. unhinged and he's got a nuclear warhead sitting next to him. This is kind Which of a Which I big think deal. is, once again, just kind of commenting on the political landscape of the time. Of like, <laughs> yeah, look at uh, who we've got in charge of our big red button. Absolutely. Uh, it's worth mentioning the third SEAL guy who's been kind of injured. He actually kind of seems all right, and he's kind of talking to them a little bit in like the sick mm-hmm. bay area. Uh, there's a great little moment here, actually, just before the big fantastical thing happens that I really yeah. like. That just shows just how close Bud and Lindsay actually are. She sort of sits down next to him, and he's having a nap, and he's snoring, and she just sort of looks at him and says... Uh, Bud, turn on your side. And even though he's asleep, he does it, and he immediately stops snoring. And it just shows mm-hmm. how well they know each other, that she was able to tell him to do something while he's asleep. And he yeah. followed it without question, and it solved the problem. So it, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's just, it gives that hint, uh, a relationship that happened beforehand. It's the showing and not telling of yeah. they had a history. Really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this is where... 
it's not the first example of CGI in a movie, but it's kind of credited as being the first kind of big example of CGI in a movie. I I remember reading that um, Industrial Lights and Magic, who just began their CG division with young Sherlock Holmes, I believe. Okay. Um, I've seen the clip in young Sherlock Holmes. I am amazed they managed to pull this off when that was the only credit they had going for them <laughs> at the time. I'm just imagining James Cameron in the editing of the computer suite with like a giant weapon in his hand, just making them work harder. Just, you know. Well, apparently, <laughs> and this is this is all trivia based, so it might be wrong, but apparently this was like the very first thing they shot, period. So that way they could get it over to ILM oh, really? as early okay. as possible, let them work on it the whole way through. And they specifically made it so that nothing plot relevant happens in this sequence so that they could cut it entirely if it looked like crap. Okay. I mean, I think it'd be a shame, because it does motivate what Coffee does next quite a, in a big mm-hmm. way, but I can see why they were maybe playing it safe. But luckily, even for, like, by today, I mean, I can tell it's CG, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But it looks good. Like, for 1989, this is phenomenal. I mean, I feel like this is the sole reason why Cameron thought he could do T2. Yeah, the liquid like, metal in T2 only exists because he did this first. Yeah. Absolutely. Obviously, we're not at a point where it can fake flesh or fake anything else, but the idea of just having a, a moving liquid that's kind of vaguely solid, like, it can yeah. do this now. So, for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, there's a, like, water tentacle that comes up through the moon pool and just starts exploring the uh, rig as they're on it, and it goes into the back, like, bedroom that they're all in, and... Uh, Lindsay sees it, wakes up everybody else, and then it starts, like, mimicking their faces at the end of it, and everyone kind of just posits out, like, okay, I guess they can control water, because it is just water. That's all it is inside of it. So they are figuring out a little bit more about how this alien species works. They're they're waterbenders. In fact, Mm -hmm. that's also what makes the ending really weird, that the big tidal wave thing's not on the, the theatrical cut. Is because to me that's the payoff to they can control water is that threat at the end. Mm. That's why that's here, really. <laughs> you know, yeah. in, a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, that makes sense. the The only thing I could think is when uh, when they come out in the theatrical cut, they make this specific comment of saying like, "Oh, we should be dead from decompression." Do they do they still make that comment? I think they did because they had to explain it regardless. Because that's yeah. the only thing I could think that would be the payoff for it in the standard cut is them saying like, "No, no, they can just control decompression and pressure and stuff yeah. like that too." This is just another example of why this cut is much better, is because this has more significant ramifications. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it has ramifications in the motivations of the characters in the moment, and it's also a really cool scene, and it has that sense of wonder as the character because it's not just Lindsay. This is the first time the others are all seeing something magical, right? And mm-hmm. they're like amazed that it's mimicking her face, and then it mimics Bud's face, and he's like, "Whoa, it's me!" I will comment. I I I saw Lindsay's face when it mimicked Lindsay's yeah. face. When it shifted over to Bud, I couldn't tell. I had no idea that it was supposed to be him, and they're like, "Oh, it's me." I'm like, oh, "Okay, I guess I see it." To be fair, I think I couldn't in the shot that it changed in, but when it cut back to him, when she was sticking her finger in it, <laughs> I was mm. like, oh, I can kind of see Zed Harris. Like, it's, it's, right, it's, it's somewhat there. Uh, still, though, Monument, like, this, this must have been mind-blown if you saw this in theaters in 1989. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. By the time oh, I what? saw this, I'd already seen T2 and Jurassic Park and everything that came out in the 90s, so yeah. it wasn't that impressive to me when I first saw it, but in 1989, it must have been gobsmacking. Oh, yeah, that's what I was saying at the beginning of like, 
the 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 effects definitely hold up. I think that they don't take you out of the movie. But like back then, it must have been just it's the same sort of thing of like Jurassic Park when they first show the dinosaurs. Yeah. You're just like we've entered a new age, everybody. Yeah, and to be fair, like the production values are sky high in every way possible. Mm-hmm. So the the sets feel great, and even you mentioning they did this first, I'm like. Man, like the the place is half flooded because the 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 big like you know pulling down the side of the cliffs already happened. So mm-hmm. I'm like, shit, they had to fill this place with water and then empty it again so they could do all yep. the earlier stuff. That just sounds like a like a giant pain in the ass. Oh yeah, well as we know, everything in this production was a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> um, so this scene continues on. The tentacle makes its way out of the bedroom and goes actually into the room where the nuke is. Yeah. And it starts, like, poking around at it, and they're just like, what does it want? What's going on? And at that point, Michael Bean's character just sees the tentacle coming out of the moon pool and says, this is a threat, and chops it in half with a door. Yeah, he chops it in half with a door, so you just get a splash of water landing. And obviously his instinct is to say, it went straight for the warhead, and they all think it's cute. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, it, and this is the thing, when you know what the themes of the movie are, it went for the warhead because it's seeing a weapon of mass destruction and it's investigating it. And yeah. probably the reason why it was investigating the submarine at the start of the movie is because it detected, you know, nukes the on warheads. it. Yeah. yeah. That's probably why it targeted that in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it necessarily destroyed it intentionally because they hit a wall, like we said. It, it's almost, yeah. It's more just like it knocked out their, their stuff and then they couldn't tell where they were and they hit a wall. So mm-hmm. um, it didn't, it didn't feel like it was actively like trying to sabotage the submarine, but it also didn't want it to be able to do its primary function either. So yeah, kind of a middle ground there of sabotage. Accidental sabotage, I would say it feels yeah. like. Uh, I mean, I, I do wonder whether or not this species is aware of the effect that it has on electronics, because it seems mm. like that would be something that they would never be able to find out otherwise. Yeah, maybe they don't know. Yeah, that, that, that could mm. be it. So this motivates Coffee though. He wants to take this nuclear warhead that he's got ready on a submersible on the flathead and nuke whatever this threat is that he is now perceiving. And of course, mm. all of the main characters are like, what, you, what? We've just made first contact with something and your instinct is to try and nuke it? You want to fight it? You want to like make it hostile? And yep. Coffee locks them in a room with, at gunpoint and uh holds them back and yeah basically they end up getting out of this room because jammer wakes up he's been in a coma in the the, like this med area for a while um there's also the third navy seal who's kind of on their side at this point and is questioning Mm. what coffee's doing uh and it kind of saves the day actually because later on when ed harris should be shot from from coffee uh, we find out that the other navy seal actually emptied all the the clip so that the uh so that coffee couldn't fire the gun on anyone because even at that point, even though he's following orders, he's like, uh, I can't foresee any reason why this gun would need to be fired unless he has gone crazy. So let's go ahead and dump the clip. Yeah, yeah. Wise move, wise move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a great logistical thing here that leads to a great little set piece again, is that Coffee's locked the door to the, was it the moon pool, they call it? The room where yep. the, the pool where they go down in the submersibles. Mm-hmm. And they can't get in, so Ed Harris... Bud says, all right, I'm going to go swim to the hatch on the outside. And everyone's like, but it's like freezing out there. It's like, well, it's a quick swim. I'm a good swimmer. I'll, I'll get there. And uh, Catfish decides to go with him as well. So yep. we get this sequence of them swimming outside and get into this hatch, but the hatch won't open. So it's like, shit, I need to go to the moon pool. 
So he swims to the moon pool and leaves Catfish behind. So we yeah. get a cool little fight scene where he tries to sneak up on Coffee. He's all he's going to hit him with this pipe, but then he, his guns on his back of his his uh, trousers. He's like, oh, I can grab the gun. But Coffee turns around and catches him. So we get this fight, and it's a really interesting little fight because it's really set up at this point that like these are blue collar workers. They're not necessarily fighters they're not trained yeah. for for military type things but coffee is but he's obviously unhinged so it makes him especially dangerous so mm-hmm. we get this fight in the water eventually catfish shows up and punches him which is actually kind of a payoff to a joke he had at the start of the movie where he says oh i could fight any of these guys this this see this fist they used to call it the hammer and it's just a <laughs> silly little moment character building but it actually kind of comes back here because he knocks coffee out with a punch yeah uh, absolutely so, so- you say knocks out, but he doesn't actually get knocked out, and we oh, see. Oh, true, true. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, as they as they get up and like scramble to unlock the door and all that, we see Coffee makes his way into the submersible with the nuke st- strapped to it, and he's just going to put his plan into action. Yeah. So Ed Harris grabs a diving suit, throws it on, and jumps in. Uh, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Lindsay grabs the the cab number three and tries and flies after him that way. Meanwhile, Catfish grabs one of the automatic weapons that is left over and just starts firing into the moon pool. And all I can think of is Fight Club of like, let's not fire the gun around the nuclear warhead. Yeah, I don't know if it would actually set the nuke off, but it does seem like a stupid thing to do if you don't know that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it would be my recommendation. So, yeah, this is a fun little set piece because, like... He, he's trying to like get the the the, the nukes kind of like sort of tethered to the top of this submersible, and Ed mm-hmm. Harris is trying to like cut it or try to disconnect it, and it's not quite happening. And then when Coffee realizes on top of the submersible, he starts you know driving kind of erratically to try and knock him off. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Lindsay comes in and rams him with her her cab, and we get this whole set piece. And he actually ties the submersible, or I should say the nuke, the little rack the nukes on. He ties that to one of the beams of the oil rig. Yeah, because the nuke is set to automatically go down to the site of the submarine, so it's just going to immediately dive its way down there as deep as it can. Yeah, it's also not far enough away that they would be safe in the rig. Mm-hmm. So Michael Bean's character is basically just sending them all a death sentence if he gets away with all this. Yeah. he. I think someone specifically like does the back-of-the-math calculation. He's just like, ah, oh, you know, it's a 500 kiloton or whatever so it's like five hiroshimas and everyone's just like oh just five hiroshimas okay that's fine then <laughs> just five oh, that's nothing that's uh... ah underwater i'm sure we could handle that yeah i'm sure there won't be giant ramifications because nah. of that so <laughs> uh the end of this is quite cool though because uh ultimately the nuke does come untethered uh the the rope goes and at this point, Ed Harris has gotten inside the submersible with Lindsay. So mm-hmm. Bud grabs the control for the robotic arm they've got on this thing and actually managed to grab the rope as it's floating away to catch yep. the, the nuke. But unfortunately, Coffee rams them with his submersible again and it, go, it's, it, go, it goes away. Uh, and it mm-hmm. ends up with uh, Coffee going over the ledge into the deep, deep abyss which we see him just implode after he falls x number of meters it implodes and it's yeah. a pretty cool it's honestly it's a really cool death it's it's, it's one of the coolest deaths i've seen in some time yeah, i think he's, he's you see him just falling deeper and deeper all of a sudden a crack appears on the windshield and then a leak springs and then he gets off this big like nose scream and then just boom 
cavitation bubble. That's all that's left. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> yep. So one thing that we didn't mention, we did say that the nuke is automatically sent to go down to where the submarine area is because yes. they essentially just a they want to blow up the aliens, but b they also want to blow up the submarine so that any like U.S. secrets on there can't be found by Russians. Uh, but they have specifically sent it so that the nuke has a three-hour timer from this point on. Yes. So that's as long as they have to go down and defuse it before it doesn't matter anymore. And unfortunately, the submersible they're in, and they're, they're okay, relatively speaking. They're still yeah. up in the ledge, but water's starting to leak in, and it's like, okay, we have to get back to the rig. This, this thing's going, we can't stay here. But there's no extra diving suits. Because all this was in a rush, like, you know, mm-hmm. Lindsay just jumped out of the submersible without thinking, just rushing to try and get to the nuke. And it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And they question this for a little bit. And I actually think some of these scenes that are coming up are some of the best in the whole, in the movie. Like Definitely. I'm not going to argue that. Yeah, the performances, the I think the, the, the waiting is the water starting to fill up this little submersible. And Ed Harris at one point just sort of starts taking off his suit and he's like, okay, you're going to wear this and you're going to go back. And she's like, we, no, what are you talking about? No. One, you're a better swimmer than I am. So I don't even mm-hmm. think I could get back and you can. And ultimately, it really feels at this point that their history is really caught up to them where at the end of the scene, they actually kiss. This is the, the first time they yeah. show real kind of affection to each other. Um, there's, there's some subtle things earlier on. Like after the, the big disaster in the middle where it falls off the edge of the thing, um, and she's going around fixing things. He comes up and says, you know, I'm glad you're here. And he's very genuine about it. And she yeah. turns and smiles and goes, I'm not. <laughs> and that was a good, you know, it was a good little moment. It was, it was... Yeah. It's it's showing that they are no longer at the like angry bickering at each other. They're now at the playful bantering yes. side of things, but they haven't fully accepted that they're willing to say that they love each other still. But they know they don't have enough time for them to come and be rescued by the others on the rig. So hard. And I, I love this. Before you get to that, I yeah. love they throw out every possibility. Oh, they do. They're yeah. Like they're like, okay, you swim back over, get some gear, and then come back. And then they explicitly say like, that's not going to work because of this, this, this. And they're like, okay, let's fix the leak on the sub. And it's like, okay, we need to pull off this panel. And they just cannot manage to do that. And they go through every single possible thing until they are left with only this one option. And it's a crazy option. It's it's. She basically says, "You're going to have to just drag me back, swim back with me. I will drown, but hopefully, because the water's so cold down here, it will help. Basically, freeze me a little bit, mm-hmm. so that when we get back onto the rig, you can resuscitate me. Uh, because my blood will be so cold. Hopefully." I can be brought back. And that, and that's pretty dire. That's like, if that's your best yeah. option, that's pretty dire. So, I yeah. think if any option you have says, okay, so first step, I have to die. <laughs> Let's just reconsider our plans from there on. Honestly, I'd forgotten just how powerful the moment is here when he's holding her and she like drowns it for the first, you know, it's, it's, we basically have to go through him watching her die before he mm-hmm. even starts swimming. And even that's quite powerful on its own yeah she she's the one who makes the suggestion of saying you know let me drown and that's that'll be that you can go and save me but then when the actual plan starts getting put into action she panics like she's not okay she starts freaking out about it and it's it's horrifying and scary to think that like no you're about to watch this woman you love die right in front of you by her own suggestion and it is 100 percent on you 
to be able to bring her back. So he swims back with her, and when he gets close enough that the comms will work, he says, hey, we need this, this, and this. Get the, the defibrillator out. Get the adrenaline out. Get all these things out, because you'll be after resuscitate her. And mm-hmm. I think what I love so much about this moment is you see them all go into action, and they all genuinely care. Catfish jumps up. Um, uh, we've, not, we've barely mentioned one night thus far. She, she's always been there. She's, she's the woman in the cowboy hat. She's the one who's yeah. singing the songs and all that. They're all jumping up to help her. And what I really like about this moment is that at the start of this movie, all of these characters pretty much made it clear they were not happy she was there. They all mm-hmm. made jokes. One night specifically when, when uh, Lindsay says hi to her over the comms because she's in the, uh, the submersible at this point, she yeah. says, oh, hey, Lindsay, and then puts her finger in her mouth as if she's vomiting. And yeah. it makes it clear that they all have this specific feeling about her at the start of the movie. But now that she's the one in trouble... Every single one of the team is rushing dead seriously to try and save her life. In fact, mm-hmm. one night earlier on, when when Lindsay was going to like get the oxygen, the, the the second time she saw some alien stuff, there's a little joke where one night like grabs the, the the oxygen hose and goes to squeeze it as if, hey, wouldn't it be funny if I just like offed her <laughs> right now? Yeah, and it's just a it's it's a harmless little joke in the moment because she's not actually going to do anything. But here they're all jumping to action they're all running around to save this person that they all deeply clearly care about but they've all felt hurt they've they've all in some way went through a divorce with her because she was one of them and then she moved up up in the world and now they're all fighting to save her so even before he gets back with her and we get the ultra dramatic scene of trying to actually save her and she's lying there looking like a corpse and they're just like shocking her and you know doing the cpr and all the rest of it even before then, I was oh, this is such a good payoff to how they were all treating her at the start of the movie. It feels mm. like a such a warm, like oh, they all care. This is you know, if if the, if the joke of the movie, if people want to make fun of it and say ah, love's going to conquer all, but it's not that cheesy in moments like this where yeah. it actually does feel like they're all desperately trying to save her. Yeah, I think it, what you said about every one of them kind of went through that divorce is pretty accurate there because all of them have this camaraderie this family sort of value with the other people on there but she exists as this other she exists as like the stepmom you only see on the holidays she's upstairs and doesn't seem like she cares all that much about how they are down here because she had a rocky history with this guy who basically runs it but once she's back in the mix of things once she's down there again and i mean she literally just jumped into the submarine without even thinking about it just to try to stop this guy from killing essentially the rest of them she put herself on the line there and clearly she paid the price for it she has yeah. actually died for them i think that that's 100 percent coming back around and saying like no we are regardless of what our situation is or what happened between us we are a family unit and we're always going to care each other about each other in that regard yeah uh, all that stuff's great i mean i mean if you think about it when she first showed up at the start of the film in fact, they do a really good moment here where it's like a close-up of all the feet hitting the ground, getting mm-hmm. off the helicopter on the ship, and it's all the military boots of all the Navy SEALs, and then the last set of feet are these high heels, and it's like, oh, this is this is the reveal of her. And she's wearing this very 80s sort of business suit and skirt, and it's this very, very specific image. But then, obviously, when she goes down below, she's not wearing that. She, I mean, if anything, I'd describe what she's wearing as a Marty McFly outfit. She's wearing the kind of- I was literally about to say that. I'm looking at the red, like, lifesaver vest, and I'm like, what, you fall overboard on a boat, kid? 
Um, I mean, she, she didn't fall, but she did go overboard, <laughs> technically. Yeah. Uh, so she, you know, she goes down, um, you know, wearing this very different outfit that looks a lot more blue collar, right? Looks a lot mm-hmm. more Marty McFly, but it looks a lot more blue collar. And over the course of the film, sort of proves herself in all these different ways. But it does make a very key point to introduce her looking like she belongs as the evil businesswoman in, like, um, I don't know, like, Big or something like that. You know, think of a movie from the 80s where the, there's, like, you know, the fancy business people as part of the yeah. plot. She mm-hmm. looks like that. So, but yeah, we get this scene where they try to resuscitate her, and it goes on a long time. And to the point where, like, they try and stop Ed Harris from continuing because they're like, it's mm-hmm. over, dude. Like, she's gone. Um, And I think you can be really cynical and look at this as the ultra movie like oh no she eventually starts coughing and gets up like it's, it's obviously yes a lot of movies do yeah. the they seem to be dead but then they'll sort of come back at the last second kind of thing but i think because of the themes of this movie and this idea that he doesn't give up so therefore mm-hmm. like that's what saves her right everyone else is like okay it, it, it's gone beyond the point of no return now she's not coming back she's dead mm-hmm. and he pauses for a second and then says, no, F that, and just keeps going. Makes him shock her again. Yeah, and- I mean, I'm, I've am i literally got the video pulled up here, and the whole sequence from the moment they get out of the moon pool to when it ends is five full minutes. Mm. Like, it is a five full minute sequence, no cutting away, no, like, time skip or anything like that. It is just five solid minutes of them trying to resuscitate this girl. And I think what you said about the pause there is what really sells it because in any other movie that would be the part where it's just like okay that's it we did our best it just wasn't good enough and maybe then they still would have come back with some like deus ex machina to bring her back whatever but in this movie it's like no screw that and we go on for like another two minutes after that of him just desperately trying to get through to her to the point where uh one of his quotes here is he starts like shouting at her body and like slapping her in the I, face trying i love, to get her I to love that up. slang you're about to say i think yeah, I mean, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, and I don't want to do it misjustice, but, like, I've heard that quote. I have heard that before, <laughs> and I had no idea it was from this movie. Yeah, he, he slaps her in the face and says, damn it, bitch, you've never backed down from anything in your life. Don't give up now, or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's, like, yeah. the, the ending may be but slightly it's with off. such emotion. It's with yeah. such, like, simultaneous anger and grief. It's so well done. I don't understand how Ed Harris is only like supporting roles in his career after this. I know he's so good. Sold it. Yeah, he's so good in this moment, and the, the rest of them all around him thinking it's over, and like they've got these tears in their eyes. One of my favorite things about how this is shot is I think it's after the pause when it feels like all hope is lost, and it feels like he's been kind of almost, you know, unrealistic now mm-hmm. that he's keep going. Is a lot of it takes place from this almost POV shot from her, from Lindsay, like it's, yeah. it's looking up at him as he's doing all this uh i love that shot and then when it finally does sort of like she does start to kind of like move a little bit and there's a little bit of coughing and whatnot um his relief and like the way he's sort of like holding her hand and crying and everyone else has this like wave of relief come over them it's this reward for not giving up and it kind of again what makes this version of the films work so well is that it ties into the themes of the end and it's like no it's about not giving up on everyone there's mm-hmm. still hope there's still reasons to stay fighting and keep trying so yeah yeah it's a beautiful sequence it's one of the standouts of the movie and i think i think in hindsight i remember it being oh it's a bit over the top how long it goes before she comes back but actually watching it again and just seeing the performances i don't care oh yeah 
I don't care. It's perfect. Like, I, I I can I can see the argument for somebody who's like you know just got it on in the background or whatever. And once you know, once we have Michael Bean step and all that, you get the feeling that it's like okay, we're in the third act. This is we're ramping down the film at this point. Like clearly, we're going to get into a climax, but we're hitting the end now. If you only really start paying attention to it now, yeah, this is way over the top. Takes way too long, far too much. But that's only because you have not been paying attention to the characters the whole way through. Absolutely. Once you see like those larger themes and how they've been playing against each other and really get involved in that, this scene is the culmination of all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I really can't be like the plot's really fun and all the stuff they're doing underwater and the surviving and the conflict with coffee and like the try to get to the other room and all that all that stuff is super fun part of what makes this movie so good and what makes it work and why cameron is so good as a filmmaker is he's really good with that sense of always having a threat to deal with always having a goal in mind always having the characters have something they need to do mm-hmm. but the real heart of the movie is the back and forth and how not only the bickering and the the little comments with each other but just how these two characters have interacted with each other and how they have dealt with these different problems all these little things that are sprinkled throughout is what the movie's really about. And I think when yeah. you go into it, what I think I think this movie worked for me when I saw it at like twelve because of all of the you know, all the more spectacle things. Right. Watching this now at my age, where, you know, nowadays one of the things I like to talk about most when I'm talking about movies and storytelling is good character stories and the motivations those characters have and how one thing motivates another and and themes Watching it with that extra layer added on top of it has only kind of strengthened this as a whole because it made this scene so emotional to me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm in. They've got me locked in. And it makes the ending all the more, like, it just works better now because I'm so invested in this. Yeah, I feel like this movie is rated PG-13. So theoretically, anybody could watch it. It's not like an R-rated film. I think that it does a good job. You got the wonder for the kids with the aliens you got the action scenes for the teens and then you have the in-between moments and the character development for the adults so i think it's just works on all levels there and the beauty is it's not like we stop liking those other things as we get older right they're still there in addition to the the adult stuff so mm-hmm. you get this uh great mix so and i love that there's not even a conversation between the characters about what to do next it's just like well we don't want this species down there to die we don't want mm-hmm. to be responsible for them being hurt or killed and starting potentially some sort of intergalactic war. <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean, it is there is that level also of self-interest as well. It's like we've established that this thing will kill us based off our current sure. placement. Yeah. So, so, yeah, Ed Harris almost immediately starts suiting up in the, the fancy diving suit and he's going to mm-hmm. use this fancy liquid breathing tech to to go further to get down to the nuke and like the, the the navy seals like honestly it's not that complex there's one wire you need to cut it's not like because it, this isn't some fancy bomb that a a, a terrorist has placed this is we not didn't, we didn't expect there to be anybody down there to defuse it yeah we just have two wires that's it it's, it's not juggernaut where there's this fancy thing with like a uh, false trip wires and right you know all that stuff Check out our other movie podcast, The Collector's Cut, in 70 Disaster Season for our thoughts on Juggernaut. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah, like, Lindsay's begging him not to go down. She's like, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to lose you. Like, like we just kind of found each other again. Are you going to go down? He's like, no, I have to. No one else but me. I got to go. We can send down uh, 
one night we can send her down because she did that joke about the oxygen thing. Don't think I didn't hear that. I knew what you were saying. Uh, that would that would amuse me if I'm on. Yeah. <laughs> Just calling her. I was like, I died for you. I get to make these jokes. Yeah. Leave the cowboy hat. <laughs> but Don't I'll... worry. We'll have a we'll have a great little memorial for you. It'll be perfectly lovely. Now go down there. Yeah, they set up that he, he can't talk while he's breathing liquid, which, fair enough, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so they give him a little little keypad that he can, he can text message back up uh, yep. when he's diving. Which, I'm like, I've tried to type using gloves, not even these big, thick, like, deep-sea diving gloves, just regular gloves, and it's a nightmare. I can't yeah. imagine doing it with these big, clunky things. I mean, I, I fully expect there to be more typos than there were, but I'll give them credit. Like, yeah, they needed to get the message across. I'll, I'll give them whatever they need there. My main concern, though, is that they have a headset set up inside of the um, helmet mm. that is filled up with this liquid. I don't know if you've ever been underwater and had, like, a noise made, but because noise is just vibrations in the mm. air... And those vibrations travel a lot better through a solid medium like water. They would be blowing out his eardrums with some of the yelling that they do into that <laughs> microphone. Like he would just not be okay. Fair enough. I didn't even think of that. Uh, yeah. But fair enough. Um, so, yeah, he, he goes down into the darkness, right? He's going deeper than anyone ever has. They kind of make some jokes about how he's breaking the record for how deep a human being's dove before i mean before before he even dives i think they do a great job because this is where the existential dread really sets in because Mm -hmm. everything else has been around this oil rig and yeah they do show when they go down to the uh sub just like how deep it is but they don't show you like the external shots this is the first time just a guy in a suit carrying a flashlight he stands at the edge of this canyon in the ocean and he just falls off it and he just keeps falling forever. And it's so unsettling the entire time down. Yeah, it feels like you get into the unknown, which, mm-hmm. you know, is why the deep ocean and space are a lot alike in some ways when you start doing stories like this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the little drone they've got there to give them light, like, conks out, like, halfway just to let you know how deep they're going that the machine just can't handle it. So mm-hmm. he has to, like, crack a flare. He's going and he's talking. And there's, or he's not talking, sorry, he's typing, but. They're saying to her, like, Lindsay, keep talking to him, like, keep his mind, like, at ease, like, hearing your voice might keep his mind, because he's probably going to start losing it, right? He's, he's, he's yeah. going deeper than any human's ever been. He's starting to shake. Like, it's, this fluid helps with the decompression stuff, but it doesn't stop it. Like, he's yeah. still going to be going through some bad stuff as he goes down. And as time goes on, you start seeing him less and less to the point where it's kind of a mystery to the audience, like, is he even alive still and the 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 crew are all standing around this little microphone that Lindsay's talking into hoping that he's okay and of course the reason why it ends up that he is okay ultimately when he gets to the bottom where the nuke is is because the light of the alien ship is now sort of illuminating a lot of this area and perhaps Mm -hmm. even dealing with some of the pressure problems as well given the ending possibly might even be helping that out maybe i mean i i don't want to skip over too much of the diving down scene though because this is the point where Lindsay fully opens up oh like, yeah the she, dialogue itself yeah for sure yeah she because she starts off talking to bud and she's you know she's surrounded by all of her co-workers right now she's being like okay bud well you're like five thousand feet down now it's super but then i think one night's the one who calls her out on it, it's just like no 
talk to him like open up say things that are like personal to you and she does and it's this like super heartfelt scene on her side like if if ed harris didn't deserve the oscar for his scene there she would have gotten the actress (laughs) oscar right there for the next scene because she as they're going down ed harris types every once in a while he sends out these messages but over time they become more and more just complete gibberish and the navy seal next to him basically says like yeah mentally he's just like gone now like he is fully undergoing psychosis just keep talking to him that is literally all we can do for him right now yeah it's interesting to think that ed harris's big performance scene is when she's like in jeopardy dying and then mm-hmm. her big performance is when he's like in jeopardy possibly dying like they both get these yeah. like big monologue style moments when the other one's in jeopardy which is but it's very fair because they both get one each it's mm-hmm. it's quite nice that way i also very much like there's one point where she's just so overcome with emotion that she just has to like set the mic down for a second and just like sob and catfish comes over and picks up the mic just so he's not leaving ed harris alone yeah like he always has somebody in his ear he's just like hey buddy it's catfish you're doing great just keep it up down there and then when she's able to pick it back up she's just like okay i'm here we're good yeah, she she promises to never leave him. She's like, look, mm-hmm. you're not alone, and I'll never leave you alone. Like, like, and you know, we're all here, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of the stuff is kind of after he's done with the bomb. Although I actually thought this was really funny, is the Navy Seal says, "Okay, it's the blue yeah. wire with the white stripe, not the black wire with the yellow stripe." And then you cut to what Ed Harris is looking at with his flare, which is illuminating everything like red or whatever. It's and- green. You yeah. can't tell the difference. They look the exact same. And what it made me think of was that dress thing from a few years ago. The the yeah. golden white dress, or, or is it blue and black? And I was like, yeah, they look the exact same in this light. <laughs> you can't yeah. tell. I, I've, I've seen a bunch of clips of people taking like a full color scale down underwater. And it only <laughs> takes you to get to like, I think 30 feet underwater before the natural light essentially only works in very specific blue wavelengths Mm. so like you can't tell any of the other colors apart you can tell that it's blue or not blue and by the time you get down to this deep i mean there is no light so it's only going to be what's coming off of this flare and obviously green was not one of the colors so (laughs) yep so he has to sort of make a leap of faith and cut a wire but sure Mm. enough he says i'm still here and they're like okay great fantastic how much oxygen you got left there uh bud and he's like five minutes and they're like uh the trip down took 30 minutes and And that was with weights yeah so immediately Lindsay's like okay strip off all the excess weight start swimming like you the the reading might be wrong there's hope still start swimming and he just says no i knew this was a one-way trip um i want to make clear it's including credits but at this point there is still 30 minutes left in the movie like, this seems like last 10-minute kind of content. There's still 30 minutes left in the movie. <laughs> it didn't feel like 30 minutes after this, to No, be it didn't. Yeah. But, like, it is. I'm looking at it. I mean, with credits, it's more like 20, really. But Yeah, that's fair. But he uh, says he's going to stay down there, and he says, I love you, wife. And she says, mm-hmm. I love you back. So, so they kind of, like, finally say that to each other at the end of the movie here. And they're all sad because he's he's staying down there to his death. And then, of course, the alien appears. The alien comes up, and he sees it. And it's, and it's very wondrous. It does feel very Spielberg, the, the tone of, of this sequence, mm-hmm. as the alien like takes his hand and flies him over their ship. 
and then into inside the ship. I was going to say this ship is the size of like several city blocks. It is a massive ship, which is what made yeah. me think like the Atlantis sort of thing. Like it's pretty much an underwater city at this point. So they actually give him like a like it was a really interesting cool little effect here where the water inside one of these hallways kind of splits and creates mm-hmm. like a pocket of air form. So he takes off his helmet and it's like, okay, so they've, they've given him something to breathe. That's great. Uh, so he's, he's a hunky dory and he's, and they're sort of behind, they're in the water. So he's sort of looking, it's almost like there's a screen. It's not really, it's just the edge of the water, but it's almost like mm-hmm. a screen. It's, it's the scene from Arrival. Kinda. Yeah, yeah. actually. Uh, this came first though. <laughs> yes, it did. Worth mentioning. And he's like, hey, okay. Uh, what, what, hey guys um end of standard edition yeah yeah basically here that's basically it but here they show him the news footage of what's going on up above right Mm -hmm. of all this tension and conflict and then show and you get this little glimpse at the end of the news footage that there's this giant tidal wave coming towards the city right you see it more better later on but in this first glimpse it's just this little moment at the end of this footage and he's like, wait, you're doing this. You're controlling water. Why are you doing mm-hmm. this? And then they show him footage of nuclear bombs going off. And he's like, but why can't, Why are you just assuming that's going to happen, though? What gives you the right to judge us? And then they just show him real footage from wars. Yeah. And he turns around with this look in his face. He's like, yeah, I don't have much ground to stand on here. <laughs> he's like, look, I know we've done this before, and then before that, and then before that, and we've never stopped doing that. But maybe... <laughs> we'll stop this time maybe just maybe and then which it- i'm i'm gonna go ahead and give credit here if every single shoreline which they say is like every single shoreline yeah. in the world suddenly has a thousand foot wave not only approach but stop midway through i am finding god like i will just <laughs> be religious like there's no other explanation for that besides god himself has said hey you guys remember the flood i'm gonna do it again if you don't stop well, unless they just tell everyone at the end what caused it. Maybe they yeah, won't believe fair. them, but yeah. I mean, I'd still believe in a higher power. It'd just be aliens then. Yeah. You don't see it stop, though, because it cuts to then just footage. Not not like footage. That, I mean, it's implied that Ed Harris's character is watching this as well, but mm-hmm. it goes to like real footage where we're just getting actual shots of people running from, on beaches and stuff like that, uh, mm-hmm. waves coming towards multiple cities, and really sets up this huge, like, they're going to just flood the entire planet to eradicate humans because they're too much trouble and fair enough yep. we kind of are but the wave stops right and it starts mm-hmm. to recede and people start cheering and it's a really big spectacle kind of moment and ed harris's character turns around and says wait why did you stop you were doing that why, why did you stop and then they show him one last bit of footage and it was the message he sent his wife saying i love you wife uh i have to come down here so because he was willing to sacrifice himself to try and save the people he loved, and possibly the aliens as well, that yeah. was enough to prove that, oh, humanity's got good in it. You know, traditional it's the, it's, sci-fi idea, but... Yeah, it's the war has always been the idea of, you know, you're, you're also self-centered and focused on yourself. You're also violent. It's you, you aren't able to see the larger picture outside of your own personal little bubble. And Ed Harris coming down here is basically them saying, okay... At least one of you is capable of selflessness and love instead of violence and self-centeredness. And if at least one of you is, then maybe the rest of you are as well. Yeah. And I love that you're going back through the rest of the movie, Coffee's instinct to see everything that he was witnessing as a threat 
is representing the worst of humanity and those worst mm-hmm. instincts. And then the other characters represent this better thing. And that's why I feel that the movie is this ideological kind of fight. It's not just about the who's actually going to live and die. It's more about mm-hmm. the the fighting for, for just the right way of thinking and the, the right way of... of, of uh, yeah, just goodness, basically. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 the end of Rocky. If I can change, you can change. <laughs> That's Rocky Four, David. Come on. Uh, sorry, I meant Rocky. I thought that was implied with the whole Cold War thing. <laughs> no, the end of Rocky is that you don't have to actually win to win. The end of Rocky is "I love you, Adrian." I know yes. that quote. I got that. <laughs> I have seen Rocky. Okay, all right. I wasn't trying to suggest you hadn't. In fairness, though, I haven't seen Rocky Four, so I was kind of hoping that was the right quote there. I mean, yeah. If I can change, you can change. Anyone can change. Something yep. like that. Rocky yeah. solves the entire Cold War better than James Cameron ever could. <laughs> to be fair, 1989's around the time the Cold War actually did sort of come to an end. True, so. true. I'd have to check some exact dates here, but uh, it's... Uh... Turns out it ended two days after the head of the USSR watched The Abyss. That's weird. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Although the theatrical cut didn't have uh, a lot of that stuff in oh, there. Oh, that's true. So they, they really had to have seen the subtext <laughs> to yeah. really get it. He <laughs> was like, I feel like there are some missing scenes here. Hmm. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, eventually he calls back up in his little text device and says you know still here um, well before oh, that yeah. the uh the boat upstairs the hurricanes essentially just dissipated and it's yes. implied the aliens did it uh they managed to get in contact with the rig down in the ocean and they're like hey you guys still alive and they're like yeah i mean some of us a lot of us died but some uh-huh. of us are still here and they start working on like a rescue plan more or less and it's only then that ed harris gets back over the thing and says hey guys i made some friends Yep, and then says, you're going to love this next thing, which implies the aliens have told them what they're about to do uh, mm-hmm. somehow. Uh, so basically their giant ship starts to lift up and it lifts up the oil rig and then gets to the surface and lifts up the big boat as well as a second big boat. These two big ships are just lifted out of the water. They're sitting on this big surface, this big circular mm-hmm. surface. And out from one of the entrances walks Ed Harris as uh, our other main characters come out of the rig and there's some hugs, there's some kisses. Uh, can I just can I just put forward something I noticed here? You'll go on. As Ed Harris emerges from the ship and goes to hug, uh, Lindsay. Lindsay, he's now the man in the suit with a fancy watch and the super cool ship thing. <laughs> okay, much as he implied the X was before. Um. And read, read, read. So say that to me again. He's the so man the, with the suit. And... He's a man in a fancy suit. He's got the fancy watch, which is the little okay. keypad thing, which he also specifically said before. And he called him like Mr. BMW, implying like, oh yeah, I got such a cool car. Meanwhile, he's on this giant alien watercraft. He's one up the, the business guy. Okay. Yep. That's just across saying. the board. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So uh, there is a line here just to explain. Wait, why didn't we die from decompression? Uh, they must have done something, and fair enough. Just yeah, whatever. Yeah. Look, we, we tried the ending of this movie where they had to sit in the compartment for three weeks, and it just <laughs> didn't work. Yeah, the six-hour cut just has them for three hours at the end, just 
yep. you know, gradually decompressing. Like, really want to hug you, bud, but I'm in here. <laughs> Hold on. Ah, uh, dear. Yeah, no. Movie's great. I like. I I think there's one or two little moments you might say are cheesy. Yeah, but by and large, like I think the the wondrous elements mix wonderfully with the the more dramatic and serious stuff. The the, the idea of uh like the right thing to do when making first contact. It's a it's a story that comes up all the time. Things like Arrival. There's lots of good Star Trek episodes that deal with it. Or mm-hmm. and then more directly something that Day of the Earth stood still, which is this idea of the alien force basically considering if humanity's worth keeping because of the horrible things that they do and could do. Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to the philosophical perspective of is man capable of unconditional compassion or is he capable of just war and fighting and violence? And And the characters that we follow in this movie start off fighting. Like the, the, Mm -hmm. the married couple, they start off this movie by being hostile towards each other and by the end, they're kind of proving that they can come together. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I, all that stuff works really well together. And then on top of that, you've got all the cool stuff where all this like live action underwater filming and all this great mm-hmm. set piece moments with the very good visual effects, which for the most part do hold up. There's the odd, you know, matte painting shot or something that has a bit dated, yeah. but the, not the too one that bad. got me was um, when the alien is escorting ed harris into the ship Mm. it's got first off into the ship has its own little like 2001 space odyssey thing going on so i can clearly see where that was a inspiration for him there for sure but i think that having ed harris whether it was green screened or matte painted or whatever was going on there it definitely stood out as one of like the weaker effects in the movie but it wasn't bad it wasn't a horrible effect it's funny actually when i was comparing to interstellar earlier i was thinking more because the idea of the the heart uh, and the film being the, the the main idea of it and interstellar mm-hmm. has that as well it's all about the the love of the the father and daughter and all that yeah. um but i'm just now realizing that 2001 also was a big inspiration on interstellar so there's definitely like a through line here uh where modern directors of different eras have been influenced by that movie but wanted to make them a bit more heartfelt than 2000 because mm-hmm. 2001 is a very cold film it's a very oh yeah you know there's, there's not a lot of heartfelt stuff in it so look you can ape all you want of Kubrick's vision of his style and whatnot, <laughs> but uh, maybe just add a little bit of that Spielberg heart. Hmm. Which, yeah. So I'm happy to say that having not seen it for 20 plus years and revisiting it with the possibility that I may end up being underwhelmed or like, okay, there's almost a mystique that's built around it because I couldn't watch it for so long mm. or or whatever. I'm happy to say that it, it held up, and if anything, I think I like it more than I ever did back then. So, cool. When, this, when... Uh, uh, in terms of every other movie I've ever done on any of the shows I've done with you, I've always been able to rent, stream, or just straight up pirate. This is the first time where, because of availability, I had to actually purchase the movie, so I have it permanently. I think it was worth it. I think I... Yeah. I I don't know when I will come back to this movie, but it's good to know that I do just have it. Yeah. Uh, and if you happen to get it on iTunes, I know you didn't, but if no. you did get it on iTunes, uh, it does come with a pretty nice suite of extras, uh, a bunch of stuff that was on the old DVD plus some new things. So, uh, and We get more PTSD from the actors. Yeah. Well, I mean, the make of the movie is such a, such a feat in and of itself. Although mm. I don't think 
outside of maybe like the original like press stuff they did I don't think there's any interviews with the two leads because I don't think they wanted to be involved in oh, talking about the movie. Me. Yeah. Uh, and the same way that if you watch any of the Make It Off stuff for Alien 3, there's no David Fincher anywhere. He does not mm. want to talk about that movie. Which is, which is a shame because his perspective would actually be quite interesting on it probably, but hey. Yeah, we'll get something in his like super late Twilight years mm. just to look back on it. Okay, I'm finally ready to talk about Alien 3. After we've already made Aliens 4 through 23 by this point. <laughs> Alright, I think that we can rate the movie now, David. So what are you giving it? Oh, golly gee. Um, what can I say that's not going to upset you? Um, this is not about satisfying or dissatisfying me, okay? you. I get it. I, I understand, but I also feel like if I, if I speak too poorly of it you may use like an ugly photo of me in the thumbnail for no reason um but no i i enjoyed this movie straight out i i don't think there was anything in it that was objectively bad or even something that i would think needs to be cut i do think that it may be a different story if i watched the theatrical edition because from what you're describing here kind of like i think the biggest point the movie has to make is just gone so I'm sure it's still a good movie, but it just goes out a little extra mile with this. Uh... I mean, yeah, I was very, very persistent in saying which version mm-hmm. you had to watch. Yep, that's the whole reason I had to buy it. I could have, I could have easily seen the shorter version of Abyss with anything else, but for the, the extended edition in the 4K and whatnot, had to purchase it. But um, yeah, no, I think that this movie's super solid. It is a little bit corny at times, but I think that the parts where it does get just full on the emotional beat specifically where basically the two leads die while they're talking to each other those those more than make up for it. i think they're the strongest scenes in the movie by far so all in all i'm gonna say this one is a 9.5 i'm just i'm i'm using my other ratings as a base here I think that it is I just, solid. You, you joked at the start of that. I didn't say a number that won't upset. But I'm like, did you think 9.5? Like, I'm not even sure if I'm going that high. Dude, I gave a 9.5 to Alien and I got chewed out. So, yes, <laughs> I was worried. Because this is, like I said, I've never seen you be this insistent that we had to watch a movie before. You were like, we're doing Abyss. And I'm like, all right. Because I've been waiting for 20 goddamn years. I'm sure. No, no, I think it is a 9.5. I think it is, it is... Even if you ignore all the behind-the-scenes stuff, it is just a great movie on its own. Add in the behind-the-scenes stuff. It is a masterpiece that it, this movie even got made. Like, I am so surprised that they went to the effort they went through to even get this out. Um, yeah, I, I, I think most movies, if they had the trouble behind the scenes that this one did, they'd probably fall apart, and what we'd get in the end is a mess where they ended up cutting a bunch of stuff to try and make things easier. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it put everyone through misery, and I'm not saying that's okay, but Cameron obviously was insistent on having a good final movie and yeah. whatever else you can say, he definitely achieved that. So, yeah, I th- I'm looking at things that I gave a nine previously and I do comparatively on those. I think that this just did a better job of the fact that it managed to hold my attention pretty unwaveringly for like three hours straight. That's something that even the nines couldn't do. So I, I think that that's that extra little point five on there just to get it up there. <clears throat> Very interesting. Uh, you've talked me up 
I think I'll go 9.5 as well. I, All I, right. I, I was going to say 9. I really was. And you've you've said enough to me, and honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, and I'm comparing it specifically to Cameron's other movies, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about what, I'm, what I gave those, right? Like, for, for me, Cameron is very much Aliens and Terminator are both 10s, and mm. Terminator 2 is like a 9.5. And I'm, I'm thinking about this movie, and I'm like, do I think T2 is better than this definitively i don't think it is i actually think i might even like this a little bit more than t2 now and that's not to knock uh-huh. t2 i still love t2 mm-hmm. but i think this may be my third favorite cameron movie all right so i think where's it, avatar up in there avatar's like uh is there a fourth or fifth some of that all right yeah it's, probably, yeah it's probably well fifth though because the second one's better so yeah after yeah way of water's probably just under t2 and then avatar right. just a bit under that so that'd be fifth and sixth then yes yeah way the water would be fifth and then yep all right fair enough yeah 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 um and titanic's obviously like zeroth place it's all the way up there it's the <laughs> best one yeah i don't want to yeah i i have to rewatch true lies before i can i'm pretty confident true lies is under most of these movies that i've mentioned um, mm. But whether or not it goes, I'm sure I probably do still like it more than Titanic. But I've I've not seen it in a long time, so uh, right. at some point I'll uh, I'll venture. But uh, needless to say, science fiction James Cameron is is what I like the most, and that's why yeah. his top six movies are all his sci-fi movies, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. So fair enough. All right, uh, David, I'll tell you about his homework. The other movie that he watched from uh, the, the 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 backstory of the show that me and Tara already did. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'll just say before that, uh, just to mention those bonus shows you can get at Patreon if you want to support the show and all the other things we do, you get some extras. Every month we have a show called Criterion Cut, where me and David will review a movie from the Criterion Collection. So if you want us to hear us talk about something a bit more artsy or maybe a foreign film, we do Kurosawa sometimes, we'll do something more Bergman, things like that, then uh, go check out that if you want to maybe expand your horizons. Or if you're already a, a snooty film snob, that's great. Yeah. Then you may be into it already. Fantastic. Go, go check it out. And I say yeah. that lovingly because I love those movies. Uh, alternatively, we also do Extra Reels every month, which is the show where we review some of the worst things ever made. And we do directors there like Neil Breen, for example. Uh, yep. We've not done a Tommy Wiseau or a James Wynn yet, but they will come up eventually. It's inevitable. Yep. I'm not actually sure. Let me Let me do a quick check uh yeah no unfortunately this episode's going out in february march we actually have a vote where one of them is ah, going yes. to be around so one you just them. missed the vote but we know now which one we're doing yes great <laughs> so yeah if you want to support the shows and you also get bonus content for streams after midnight which is the horror movie podcast that i do with tim then by all means check out patreon and you can see all those other things that are on offer all right, David. Yes. What movie from Ace Past did you watch for this episode? Well, I finished the movie and I thought, you know what? I want to watch another movie about a team of people who need to get to somewhere where humanity has never been before. They find a creature. Some of the people think that the creature is good. Some of the people, particularly military, think that the creature is evil. And they try to fight it. Uh, Meanwhile, the creature ends up being benevolent, and they like it. That's right. Kong Skull Island. 
<sighs> Very good. I, I really just sat there and tried to think of as many similarities as I could, because <laughs> that's about where it ends. Um, yeah, no, uh, obviously we're working up to Godzilla Cross Kong, or Godzilla and Kong, as I've seen it called. Um, I needed to get this out of the way. I had seen this, I think, twice before this. It kind of loses luster with every viewing for me. <laughs> That's fair. Like, uh, the first time I went into it, I was so much of just like, yeah, big monkey, just fighting things. And by the way, with Planet of the Apes being the last ones we watched, my girlfriend is, like, thinking there's something weird with how many monkey films I'm watching. Just, I just uh, want to put that out there. Not monkeys, they're apes. We know this. David's just yeah, being a dick. Go I on. Am. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's got a lot of pacing problems. It's got some characterization problems. I didn't really care for like any of the characterization. What characterization? Yeah, pretty much. I, I, I like Tom Hiddleston as an actor. I even like Brie Larson as an actress, but I swear to God, putting the two of them as the leads of this movie made this the most milquetoast thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, there was just like no chemistry there. And I don't even know if there was supposed to be chemistry because they don't end up as like a romantic couple, but like there was no acting chemistry. I didn't feel like any of them wanted to be there. So yeah, overall the, the redeeming factors of the movie is that the creatures are cool. I think that they do a good job with like the fight scenes and the action and all that. Um, I am so sick of having Vietnam war like stuff in just the soundtrack is already picked out. If I hear any of the songs that played in this movie and there were like 10 of them ever again, it'll be too soon. Uh, beyond that, what this movie felt like to me was, you know how there was a period when Sony was trying to get their own MCU going, not just with like superheroes, but with like everything they were doing. Mm. This felt like that just stretched to a whole movie where it was like, look, look, we eventually have to introduce Kong because we want him to fight Godzilla. But like, this is more just a we're setting up the universe as a whole so that we don't have to deal with it later yeah. kind of thing. So all in all, I think I still got a little bit more fun out of it than you or Tara did because I listened to your review and you were just tearing it to shreds. Um but I think that it's meant to be watched as like a purposely kind of like laughably bad movie in a lot of ways. The one that sticks out is the death of uh, Shea Wiggum's character just being so over the top crazy. I just, I couldn't stop giggling after that. Hey, if, if the movie was more of that and felt like the, the entire movie was meant to feel like that, I might have liked it a lot more. Yeah, that's fair. But overall, I'm still not going to go that high with it. I'm just going to give it a 6.5 and call it a day. What did I give it? Six. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. About six. Tara gave it a 5.5, so that's why I'm a little bit above you guys, but not by much. Mm, yeah. Yeah, one of the weaker... Well, actually, it's, it's the weakest thing in that universe, I would say, so yeah. far. Like, Fair. there's a lot of dumb humans in a lot of the movies, but I, I still think that overall, that Kong Skull Island doesn't make up for it with, with other stuff as much. No, that's fair. Yeah. I, I really do enjoy the creature design, though. I think that it it went a bit crazy with it at times, but there's also other times where, like, they just have deer and they just have, like, herons. Like, they aren't mystical animals. They're just deer. So it felt like there was kind of a missed opportunity there. But the things they did have fun with, they had fun with, at least. Sure. 
All right. Well, there you go. That is the Atomic Cinema Experiment. Hopefully you enjoyed this epic odyssey through the abyss and a little bit of a, of a, a bonus discussion there at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll see you next time for... Oh, Crawl. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I was expecting to see when I pulled up that page. It won the vote. We got it, it next. It won a vote, which is why I'm not used to seeing it there, because the vote only ended recently. So yeah. I'm not used to seeing Crawl on the to-do list. <laughs> but yes, the patrons voted for Crawl. Um, all of our votes for this show over the next several months are all 80s movies. But each, so this was like the... This was like the cult classics 80s or the quirky yeah, 80s movies. This was the weird one. Yeah. So uh, Crawl was the victor. So we'll see you next week for that. Uh, but thank you for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep watching science fiction and computer at Salsa. Bye.